Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Unfiltered Supporter Show for episode 108. Mr. Chase and I are just getting set up. Chase is getting some of my meat that I barbecued earlier. So, uh, kind of wanted to get his reaction to this. Maybe he'll walk in while it's playing. We got a big show today. Hopefully we don't lose you as a supporter after today's episode. If you do decide to bail on Unfilter after today's episode, I might have a good alternative resource for you. Yeah, it turns out Sarah Palin is launching her own online news site. Sarah Palin jumping into the TV game, launching her own TV channel, creatively called Sarah Palin Channel. I guess all the other names were taken. Yeah, I was going to trademark that for myself, but, you know. (laughs) She's sort of saying that she's going to give an alternative to mainstream TV here, speak the truth. Rahan, uh, what are you expecting out of it? Do you think they're going to give Fox News a run for their money? I think that media entrepreneurship of any kind is a really healthy and good development. It's great to have a lot of different voices out there. And it is worth noting that Fox News, uh, and like many of the news networks, serves a somewhat older audience. And so you're looking at new startups, uh, Glenn Beck startup, Mm -hmm. among others, that are trying to reach a non-traditional audience and i think that that's all to the good we need the so we might after today's episode chase we might lose a few of our supporters so uh, this is uh <laughs> this this is where they might want to go sarah palin i don't know if you heard about this sarah palin has launched her own uh, news channel i heard about this yeah, yeah so yeah. is she wrong a long, oh wait it's 9.95 a month yep, yep 100 bucks a year yeah and uh, she can be launching a Patreon soon, too. <laughs> so we're learning a little bit about the, why it's a great idea. Competition. Uh, and I think that, you know, I'm not necessarily her biggest fan uh, all the time. But I think that, you know, uh, she could do some good. Let's talk about Sarah Palin in general, shall we? Because <laughs> okay. Sarah Palin has been one of the people over the last several weeks suggesting that President Obama should be impeached. Now, I've said that. Can you believe they actually talk about this stuff with a serious, like, I mean, <laughs> this is so ridiculous. Right, you know, like. CNN has been on both ends of the spectrum, right? Uh, I don't know if you saw, but they have this news show with John Walsh. Um, I forget what it, it's. I think it's called The Hunt. Uh, America, it's like America's Most Wanted, but more in depth because you know yeah. Fox canceled America's Most Wanted, and that's actually good. It's actually a good show. Uh, but then you got this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I, I almost. I, I'll just play a couple more minutes to see how more ridiculous they get, and then I'm going to have to bail. And there are dozens, if not hundreds, of establishment Republicans who are now yelling at me, pointing their fingers on the TV screen, including our friend Anna Navarro, saying that no one's talking about impeachment except people like Sarah Palin and Democrats, for whom this is actually a political opportunity. So I guess back to Palin here, Bernard. Does she help? Democrats, are you glad that Sarah Palin is out there talking? Frankly, I'm surprised anybody's still listening. I actually thought that she was hunting moose from a helicopter or something like that. And much- <laughs> let's leave it right there. Oh my god! Let's leave it right there. Obviously, that's not a CNN host. That's just like one of their yeah. so-called experts. Yeah, he's a Democratic uh, commenter. God, you know what? And this is the inherent problem with news as a whole. You know, you just get attacking on both sides all the time, and then you can never find good news. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why we attack everybody on this show. So uh, Hi, everybody. Did you hear about the uh, local uh, Seattle drone incident that got everybody all in a tizzy? What, people thought it hit the space? You know, it made national it news, Chase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been described as the space-based version of neighborhood. Wait, not this one. This one's, this one's more about something else. Let me tell you about that. Uh, ha, ha, ha. That's about space wars, which we could play, too. 
But I feel like now that I set up the drone thing, we should play the drone thing. You've okay. teased it. Yeah, okay, we'll play the drone Got thing. Out of that mystery in Seattle, and for some, the frightening sight in the sky. Tourists spotted something strange buzzing around their famous space needle while they were up they there. They were waving. Look at some this shot, amused, though. waving at it. Others shot. downright Gosh. troubled by this. And tonight we've learned it was a drone. Amazing. But we ask here, who was flying it? And should anyone be allowed to fly a drone that close to an American landmark? ABC's Cecilia Vega now with more of those pictures tonight and now the debate. Fly by. Right there, high in the Seattle skies, a drone. The FAA now tells I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. This makes me want one of these things so bad. I think we could use these in our it, show it, production. It was beautiful shot. I mean, yeah. just beautiful. And, and by the way, if you guys are not watching the video version, you need to. This, yeah, is, this is beautiful. Is so, so nice. We do have the clip in the supporter sing. Oh, okay, ABC News, it is looking into that tiny remote control powered aircraft hovering above the observation deck of the famous Space Needle. While curious tourists waved, the mysterious flying object gave security quite a scare. It doesn't look like anybody, anybody at all is bothered by it. No, no. Because people recognize drones now. I know a couple of people did call 911. Oh, they did? Yeah, yeah. okay. All right, okay. Police say a man launched the drone right out of his hotel room window. There was no malcontent or malice. He wasn't trying to do anything wrong. It is just the latest incident raising questions about whether it's safe to fly drones above crowded cities. Take a look at this drone buzzing over the busy streets of New York last year and crash landing, nearly hitting pedestrians at the height of rush hour. And there also have been close calls with airplanes. We just saw a little drone below us. A drone, drone last year coming within 200 feet of a jumbo jet. <laughs> Drones like these are exploding in popularity, yeah, yeah. but the rules already in place for how and where they can fly haven't caught up yet. Now, the FAA is working on new safety guidelines, but it could be still a couple more years before they take effect. Until then, police will keep their eyes have that shot, on the skies. Cecilia Vega, ABC News, Los Angeles. And if you use our Amazon link, you can order one right now. Yeah, they should totally put the affiliate link in their uh, news report. By the way... It is uh, on Amazon. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of them are. Yeah, um, I want and, one's so bad. Uh, I know. I mean, notice how well it was stabilized. Yes. It, it was looks so good. And then, plus, good. you could always do a little stabilization in post, too. That's true. Woo, yeah. dog. GoPro it all the way. So I did accidentally start to play it. So did you know there's a satellite war afoot, Chase? Satellite war, as in space satellites? Space satellites. described as the space-based version of Neighborhood Watch. The U.S. has sent two military satellites into orbit to get a greater insight into other countries' activities there. Let's discuss this with investigative journalist Tony Gosling, who joins me now. Welcome, Tony. Um, I can understand this to an extent. Washington wants to keep tabs on other countries' spacecraft. What I don't understand is why. Sequestered! Well, uh, I think the other thing is we need to have a look at exactly what these uh, satellites are really up to. Ostensibly, we're being told that they're there to keep an eye on space, other satellites. Uh, clearly, this is ramping up the satellite wars, uh, you know, in parallel, really, with the technology that's being used by, uh, by mostly Britain, the US and Israel in drone technology. So there seems to be infinite amounts of cash for these kinds of projects. And yet, right now in Detroit, thousands of people are without water. I think... 
what we're seeing here is the American empire, a kind of dying empire, really, in its terminal wow. phase. Because wow. what they're doing is they're spending massive amounts of money on these military projects, but they're not actually looking after their own people. What it does suggest is that, that the government in the US, particularly, is actually completely divorced from the needs, basic needs, of the general population. But whatever you, you know, these, these satellites are doing there, we're not entirely sure. Whatever they're doing, it represents something much worse, which is a, a complete misdirection of public funds into ramping up the arms race at a very time when we shouldn't be doing that at all. I just wonder, do, do you think it might have anything to do with, um, well, the fact that they will be operating in an area that houses much of the world's communication satellites? Do you think there's any connection there? Well, they may be trying to uh, you know, actively intervene with other satellites rather than just be watching them, keeping an eye on them. Another indication here is many people have asked how much these satellites are costing. Now, do you know they're not even going to tell anyone how much they cost? Because, of course, that's a very embarrassing thing to know. Again, an indication of a lack of accountability and a lack of democracy. Uh, the other thing is, another thing is that the launch has been conducted by private businesses. It's not done by NASA anymore, this these launches. So let's remember, the military industrial complex, uh, the securocrats are making an absolute fortune out of these spy satellites. And, you know, this is all against a backdrop of a situation this week where we've got genocide going on still today uh, in Gaza, uh, and yet uh, and yet the talk of sanctions against Russia. We're actually actively in the West helping the Israelis. Uh, so they're... I don't know how they're drawn. It's it's RT tries so hard to draw these things together like that. Well, they know? got this guy, man. He is hitting on all the key bullet yeah, points. Yeah, he sure is. I mean, he's, he? He, I swear he must he, be on the uh, he must be on the RT go to list. <laughs> he's got all the talking points down. Yeah, I like that. All of them. That was pretty smooth. That was pretty smooth. All right, we got to make one more Washington story because this one's crazy too. Okay, and then we'll get done with the Washington stuff. Fair enough. All right, rescuers in Washington State faced a big challenge today. A Wait, hiker fell down. Hold in on a one sec. You know that guy? You know who that guy is? Yeah, he's a football player. Or no, he's a... He does the football commentary. right, yeah. Is he doing news? Yeah. Since when? Uh, It doesn't, you know, matter. Scott Pelley uh, had to go get some Botox done, so... Yeah, but I can't take him seriously. He's like the... You know, Seahawks looking pretty good this week against. De- you know, it's like you were make you were kind of giving me a look when I was making the same commentary about Al Roker last week. <laughs> it's like the weatherman is doing the news. Yeah, well, you can't do. But that. you know, you think about it. In our yeah. local uh, what's the the, the the sports guy often yeah, is Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson. Well, he is the anchor now. He doesn't do sports anymore. So what's the difference? But he he gradually made the transition. It Maybe wasn't- he has too. But I've never seen him on the national news before. Wow, yeah. I know. Right, I, I, I'm it, sorry for it, but it jumped just, out at me too. But this is like the this is like the fiftieth time I've seen his face this week because <laughs> I've been doing fair clips. Enough, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, but the first time I saw it, it caught my attention. See, I don't too. watch the TV that I'm not supposed to be watching. Bankman near the Skokomosh River. First Skokomosh. responders decided right. the only Skokomosh. way to get him out was to get hoist right. him up to the high steel bridge, 420 feet above the river. The hiker suffered a broken leg and some bumps and bruises. There you go. Just uh, just to show you, it's not all fun and games here in Washington with our legal cannabis. No, no. I'm, well, wait. Wait, you can't find legal cannabis anywhere, Chris. Don't, don't spoil it, Chase. <laughs> don't spoil it. I don't need to spoil it. It's true. Uh, okay. So you remember last week we were like, is Obama... You know, uh, raising doing too many fundraisers, right? Right. Yeah, he's got like what four hundred under his belt, or whatever. So the White House has responded with a uh, look at how look how busy, look how many phone calls the president has made. Like press assault. Check it out. So far, this summer is full of international crisis, and President Obama is spending more time talking with foreign leaders than he has in years. 
It's according to an analysis of the president's phone logs. Analysis. Bill Plan is at the White House with the numbers and hey, the Bill. reaction. Going, Bill, Bill, good morning. Well, good morning, Charlie. The president does spend a lot of time on the phone. <laughs> and an analysis of his calls by USA Today looks not only at who he's calling, but asks just how effective is telephone diplomacy. They're going to have an infographic for us. President Obama nice? made at least four calls in July to German Chancellor Angela Merkel, three to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Maybe. and the latest call in a busy month, a video conference Monday with four European leaders to discuss possible new sanctions on Russia. This was, I think by our count, about the 50th call or video conference the president has, has had with his European counterparts uh, since the beginning of this crisis. Despite mounting tensions on the border with Ukraine, the White House pointed to elections and an agreement with Europe as evidence that diplomacy is working. None of these things just happened. They were the result of a major, sustained effort by the president to lead the international community. According to an analysis of public readouts by USA Today, Monday's call was the 500th of Obama's presidency. And more than two dozen have come just this month. White House reporter Gregory Corty dug through the releases. They tend to come in bunches. Uh, Obama, unlike some of his predecessors, doesn't really spend a whole lot of time maintaining relationships. He's more likely to call in a time of crisis. Public announcements oh, of the calls help officials highlight the president's engagement even while he's away from Washington, no highlight matter that what for he's me. doing. And he's called a, a lot uh, this, this month. He's been to 12 fundraisers and political events. And actually, the calls tend to come on those days when he is traveling. But presidential management by phone doesn't uh -huh. satisfy critics. Okay. During a recent political trip to California, Republicans on Capitol Hill said the president should have stayed focused on crises at home and abroad. Well, maybe he ought to just reorganize his priorities. Oh! It is scandalous that the president has more time to be fundraiser-in-chief than he does to do his basic Good job one. as commander-in-chief. Well, the White House response to that is twofold. They say the president could do his job wherever he is, and they defend diplomacy by telephone as an important tool. They say that in the Ukraine crisis, for instance, the constant communication with foreign leaders has helped keep the spotlight on the actions of Russian President Vladimir Putin. Gail? All right. Thank you, Bill. Isn't our isn't our political system just ridiculous? I, it's politics and more politics. I mean, I... Uh... Hey, look at this. Look what I got on the door. Read that. Take a look at that. Speaking of Neighborhood Watch, which we had a clip of a minute ago. Hey, uh, hey, Chris. Yeah, you want to read that for me, buddy? Sure, yeah. This uh, is National Night Out Against Crime. August 5th will mark the 31st annual National Night Out nationwide. Doesn't that mean... Sorry. The program has grown over the past 30 years to include over 37 million neighborhoods and 15,000 communities. All right. The goal of this campaign is to promote camaraderie amongst neighbors and educate the community on crime prevention. The city of Arlington has once again invited our community to be a part of this event. We'll be hosting our own night out this year on August 5th, 2014 from 5 to 7 p.m. North entrance by the uh, basketball court. Now, it gets weird, though. Yeah. Towards the end. Yeah. Members of the city leadership and safety entities will be present. Safety will present safety and other issues that are important about crime prevention to include, right. but not limited to. Okay. The Smart 911 program. All right. See, I don't know about this. And the We Are All In program. Now, this is where it's what? Food will be provided. We are all in? 
We are all in program. And then you see what it says there in the bottom where it's bold and underlined it? Look forward to seeing you. <laughs> With an exclamation mark. No, there's no exclamation mark. Oh, okay. It's just, oh, yeah, it's a period. It's a little creepy, though. That's so all. so this this is Arlington. And, and wow, members, they're going to be here in your little neck of the woods here. I know. I know. It's pretty wild, right? Speaking of a small world. You can take a camera down there? Uh, your buddy. My buddy. Hillary Chase's Clinton. friends. Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Uh, stopped by Fareed and talked a little bit about your other buddy, uh-huh. uh, Putin. Oh, and so let's I see what friends. our uh, future president, uh, Hillary Clinton, had to say about Vlad. So much of what people do is psychologically analyze Putin. Right. So you tell us, what is he like as a man? You've met him many times. Well, he's very tough. He's a very um, arrogant um, person to deal with, um, which I think is a combination of this vision of Russia and some fundamental insecurity. Uh, because when you are dealing with him, he often acts as though he could care less. Uh, he's not interested even talking with him about getting Russia into the World Trade Organization, which is something the Obama administration was determined to do because we want to have a rules-based order insofar as possible. Um, proved difficult uh, to deal with him. He, you know, he acts you know, bored and dismissive. So he has a lot of... Um, uh, personas that he pulls out uh, if he wants to uh, stare intently at you. I, I do like, too, by the way. that's a, First of all, look at that image. Boy, that's a good one. Oh, oh uh, It is hilarious to hear Hillary Clinton talk about somebody being arrogant, somebody who has multiple personalities, depending on the situation. That is Hillary to a T. She's describing herself right now. With his very you know bright blue eyes, uh, because he wants something uh, from you or he wants to convey a message to you, he can turn on the charm. Um, but he can also be you know very tough to deal with dinner. and act as though... It's a burden on him to uh, be in conversations with other world leaders. I would be delighted if the United States could have uh, a positive relationship uh, with Russia. And I would be thrilled if the Russian people, who are so capable, uh, had a normal country that Whoa. they could chart a different future. I think that will be next to impossible, at least for the short term with Putin. Gonna be a I good hill CNN. dog presidency, buddy. Uh, <laughs> she also said he was to blame for, uh, for the, uh, at least partially. Here, I'll play this too. Uh, the United States obviously has a great interest in helping to maintain peace and security in Europe, and we have a formal alliance, NATO, to do so. But much of what we can do and what the president is calling for requires the full participation of our European friends. So come on, Europe, you know, stop making these economic deals with Russia. Get on board with us. Why? Because we need to establish a new world order. She's literally about to say that. Allies. And I would make three quick points. First, I think if there were any doubt, it should be gone by now that Vladimir Putin certainly indirectly through his support of the insurgents in eastern Ukraine and the supply of advanced weapons and, frankly, the presence of uh, Russian special forces and intelligence agents bears responsibility for what happened to uh, the shootdown of the airline. Therefore, we have to up the sanctions that are required. The United States has continued to move forward on that. Europe has been reluctant they need to understand. They Prepare must your stand bodies, up everybody. Putin. <laughs> oh no! Oh, oh no! Wah, wah. Oh no! 
do you still have those old? Did they uh, did they play the part of? Uh, did she play the five beat part of Obama's speech where he does the five beats and then he follows it up with another five beats? Yeah, she was like eight beats or whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. all right, good. That was the part I found to be most interesting. Hope and change. Hope, hope. Uh, yeah, that was that was uh, yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, all right. We got we got other stuff we got to do. We got to move on, Chase. We got business to take care of. Business. We got to start zeroing in on our topic of the day. Ah, uh, focus. Focus, pal. Yeah, could you get your ass together, please? Yes. Deep, deep breathing, Chris. Deep breathing. But before we do that, look how ridiculous CBS is. <laughs> and our morning round standing up for your health mounting evidence shows that sitting is just as risky as smoking. Some studies find that for every hour we sit, two hours of life are lost. And that is why we are on the treadmill right now. And after reading our next guest latest book, Dr. James Levine, you might want to get up off of that couch, too. He's the author of Get Up, Why Your Chair is Killing You, and What You Can Do About It. He's a leading obesity researcher at the Mayo Clinic and the inventor of the treadmill desk. So we have you to thank for it, Dr. Levine. Hello. Hi, Gail. How are you this morning? Are you all tingly looking at us? Yeah. Oh, I feel... You must feel very proud I have, This is of what like you've a done. dream. This is the dream. <laughs> All right, I'm okay. trying to identify the machines that they're on because I work for an exercise equipment company. <laughs> I just wanted to give you a little fake news so that way now we can get into the hardcore stuff and you'll appreciate it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Distraction. Uh, yeah, so let's start with uh, let's start with some of our uh, situation in Gaza coverage we're going to do here. Uh, so let's start right now with uh, – did you hear about this reporter who went on M- – I, I had a really good opportunity to watch some cable news while I was in Portland. Yeah. And I actually saw this gal exchange uh, blows on MSNBC. I want to just play some of this clip for you to kind of set up some of the media war that's going on. Uh, and then we're going to go to some alternative media to get their coverage take on it. And then we'll play some numbers. We'll get some facts, some data, and then we'll get into the main show. So, uh, Sounds good. First up, this is a back and forth. This gal went on MSNBC and just eviscerated the mainstream media's coverage of the Israel-Gaza conflict and then uh, was, well, you'll get the rest of the story, but then was later brought on to CNN Day, so you can hear her version of it. If you're a journalist and you cover the Middle East, you're going to be accused of bias. It's as simple as that. But it's also very, very complicated. And in a moment, I'll talk with Jeffrey Goldberg about why that is. He's been writing about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict for decades and has been called a self-hating Jew many times. And that's actually one of the nicer emails he's gotten. Let's start, though, by bringing up one of the elephants in this crowded room. Which voices get to be heard and which ones don't? Because if you want to hear the whole story, you've got to hear everybody. Now, you've probably heard Rula Jabril's voice before. She's a regular on cable news. She is Palestinian. She has Israeli citizenship and her husband is Jewish. She was on MSNBC earlier this week, and she started a heated conversation when she brought up what she thinks is a severe imbalance in the American media, an imbalance that favors Israel. Take a look at what she said. We are ridiculous. We are disgustingly biased when it comes to this issue. Look at how many airtime Netanyahu and his folks have on air on a daily basis. Andrea Mitchell and others. I never seen one Palestinian... And after that, her other MSNBC appearances were canceled. So what happened? Well, let's ask her. She's here with me on set. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So, Rula, do you have any regrets about speaking up while on MSNBC's air? No. Sometimes uh, you need to do what it's right, not what it's popular. And I know that what it's popular is to follow the narrative that uh, 
one side of the conflict is right and the other side is, is wrong. And I think coming from the region, coming from that area exactly, and having covered so many other conflicts, I can tell you that the reality is much more complex. Every night on the Situation Room, I've been watching here on CNN, you'll see either a Hamas official or a Palestinian official interviewed. You've also seen people like Benjamin Netanyahu interviewed on the Israeli side. And you're not just referring in that soundbite to MSNBC. You feel the American press in general is biased in favor of Israel and against the Palestinians. Absolutely, yes. This is a narrative that's been, for the last, I would say, three, four decades, has been a narrative that is very biased. You've been in newsrooms for years. You must have some theories about why there's this imbalance that you see. Look, I just came from a business trip from Europe where I was on air, and I, I saw how the coverage of the conflict in Gaza. I was uh, also in Israel recently, and I saw how the coverage. I think here there's fear intimidation, a campaign of intimidation and fear of if you are not aligned, your, your motives are questions and your questions if you are anti-Semitic or, or you are not enough And that intimidation comes from and, where? It comes and from I think what? It comes from multiple sources. Even if you question that, you are yourself questions and depicted as Palestinian. You and were an MSNBC contributor, though, under contract. Your contract expired last month, yes. which it seems like is just a coincidence from what happened last week. Uh, if there is this imbalance, even. then doesn't your, uh, your regular appearance on MSNBC show that, 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 that there are people like you being able to voice these issues? But you can't put me against Israeli official. I am, I am a journalist, and I criticize Hamas as much as I criticize the, the Palestinian authorities and others. My role is not to defend the Palestinian people. What happened after that appearance with Ronan Farrow? You tweeted, you said on Twitter that you, so your forthcoming appearances were then canceled. Was that because of what you said about MSNBC on the air? Well, I was. Uh, they emailed me and asked me uh, if I can be there before Ronan Farrow, and I said absolutely yes. Then... Um, Immediately after Run and Fire, I was canceled. I emailed These were appearances back. the next day. MSNBC yes. claims that they were bumped in order to re-air an interview Chris Hayes had with a 15-year-old Palestinian-American. Um, he was beaten by Israeli forces. That's what MSNBC says. I'm pretty sure that re-airing did not take up all the time that you would have been on on Tuesday, but that's just my interpretation of what but happened. beating of a Palestinian, which is a great... A new story, I think, has nothing to do with what I do. I am an analyst, a foreign policy analyst that happened to understand the region, that speak Hebrew and Arabic, that interviewed officials on both sides. What does have to do so that? So was their statement other? nonsense? Well, you have to ask them, I think, at this point. I think we'll leave it at that. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I actually happened to have a chance to watch the whole thing go down on air, and I remember thinking... I was in the hotel and I remember thinking, oh man, I wish I could have recorded that. <laughs> so, yeah, she got on there and basically just said, you know, you guys give 20 to 1 airtime to this uh, to this conflict. Uh, I want to play, let's see, uh, does this clip, let's see if this clip this is a huge clip, but I don't know if uh, this is going to work. This, uh, uh, this is the Young Turks, and again, it's not really main show material, but uh, they very, 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 very much so fallen down on the side of the Palestinians in the Israeli-Hamas right. uh, conflict. They're going they're, They are, you know, they're looking at it from a civilian casualty standpoint. And uh, Cenk does some uh, a decent job at kind of putting in perspective the size of uh, the Gaza Strip and things like that. So we want to give you a sense of what it feels like to live in uh, Gaza. And we looked at a number of different articles uh, from today to try to summarize uh, what's going on in there to give you some perspective. So first of all, let me tell you uh, how big Gaza is. It's uh, 139 square miles, which is tiny. I'm going to show you how tiny in a second. But it's home to 
eight million Palestinians, which means that it is very tightly compacted. Those people are squeezed in there. Now, part of the reason we tell you that is because oftentimes you'll hear Israeli spokespeople on American television telling you about, well, why don't they just run? We gave them leaflets, we called them ahead of time and told them to go somewhere. All right, well, we'll get that perspective on what people feel about that in a second as well. But take a look at this map to give you a sense of how big Gaza Strip is and how little place they have to run. This is what the Gaza Strip would look like inside Los Angeles. Now, I don't have this in the show notes, but that's a pretty good visualization right Definitely. there. Definitely. Totally. When I saw that, that was the first time I've ever seen it overlaid over U.S. property. And, uh, boy, you really realize how small that is. It's very small. Yeah. That means it is a tiny sliver of one of our cities. Now, if you know L.A. at all, I mean, that doesn't begin to cover all of L.A., right? That is unbelievable how small it is. Where are you going to run? Where are you going to run? Okay, now, we get to that issue. Now, the Israeli Defense Forces say, no, 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 we give warnings. In fact, uh, I want you to uh, look at this statement from, that NBC News covered from them. Uh, they say, it is the intention of the IDF to carry out aerial strikes against terrorist sites and operatives in Shujia and Zaytun. For your own safety, this is the warning that they're giving the people inside Gaza. For your own safety, you are requested to vacate your residence immediately and head towards Gaza City. The evacuation is for your own safety. You should not return to the premises until further notice. Now, imagine if you got that call from your friendly Israeli defense forces and you had five minutes to evacuate your house and not return until further notice, and it was likely to be obliterated. How much terror would that strike into your heart? Now, I want them to give the warnings. It's better than not giving the warnings. Okay, fair is fair. At the same time, those warnings throughout Gaza have to not only be terrorizing the adults, obviously, but think about the kids. I mean, you know, you hear stories where people say, I mean, we had one here in America where a gun advocate said that a woman who was showing her best was terrorizing the local children. What do you think that does in terrorizing the local children? Okay. Now, there's a group called MSF. They're doing humanitarian work in Gaza. Uh, They have an interesting perspective on this. And one of their representatives says, when the Israeli army orders civilians to evacuate their houses and their neighborhoods, where is there for them to go? Gazans have no freedom of movement and cannot take refuge outside Gaza. They are effectively trapped. So for all the people like Alan Dershowitz going on TV and saying, no, no, we stopped the occupation and we removed the settlements from Gaza. Now, it's true, Israel did remove settlements from Gaza, uh, but they did not stop the occupation. They control the airspace, uh, the ground in every way. They, but most importantly, they control the borders. So it's giant, basically, outdoor prison. They cannot leave. So don't get the misimpression that, like, hey, man, if they don't like Israel bombing, then why don't they just go? They can't. They can't leave. They're not allowed to by Israel and Egypt. So Gaza's population, again, the same human rights group is talking about this, is being held hostage with almost nothing and nobody going in or out. In fact, according to NBC News, 44% of the land in Gaza has been declared a no-go zone by Israel's army. 44%. Can you imagine if 44% of the United States was declared a no-go zone? And a foreign power told us, no, it's okay, we're not occupying you or anything, but you can't ever leave, your family can't come in, nobody can come in to help you, and we will be bombing 44% of America. Hey, we gave you notice, 
Why don't you just move the other 56%? We have, we're ready to obliterate everything inside of 44% of the country. What's the big deal? That's not an occupation. No, no, everything's perfectly fine. More from NBC News. Hassan al-Halak moved his heavily pregnant wife and two young sons into the middle of Gaza City to stay at his sister's home. I'm going to let this play for a little bit because uh, uh, I want to try to represent some more sides. In the show, we won't be going this far over to his side here, so I think it's good to at least get it on here. And it's yeah. some good numbers in here, too. I know there's probably some people listening right now that it's killing, but... Here's the, here's one thing I don't understand, Chris. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how it would kill other people to hear this, because what what is what is what is I know exactly what he's saying that is wrong. But don't you figure? I mean, it probably is because, well, you know, the Young Turks is known for being very progressive, right? But he's all he's doing here is presenting information and legitimate facts of the situation. Hopefully, it would be safer than his apartment in the neighborhood of East Gaza. Now, that makes sense because, as you saw in the first warning that the Israeli Defense Forces gave, they said, move, and, and one of the places that you were supposed to go was Gaza City. So that's what he did. I mean, he's, what would you do? If I got kids, I'd move. I'd get the hell out of there, right? i got to take my kids somewhere else, make sure they don't get bombed. I'd be scared. They'd be scared. But, it's, but at least we got to go. Last week, two missiles slammed into the building where he and his family saw shelter, his wife, mother, sister, and three children staying there killed why don't they just leave why don't they just run well he went to where they said they were supposed to go and they're gone okay so now um in order to make this a little bit more painful uh, israel decided to bomb the electrical plants there goes electricity for everybody in gaza great i go to reuters now Thick black smoke from, uh, rose from blazing fuel tanks at the power station that supplies up to two-thirds of Gaza's energy needs. The local energy authority said initial damage assessments suggested the plant could be out of action for a year. Remember, they cannot leave, and now they will not have electricity for a year. <laughs> you think they hit the electric plant by accident? No, they swear up and down that... The 70 to 80% civilian death rate that they have is pure accident. They mean to protect the civilians. Uh, it's just golly gee willikers. They're just the most incompetent party, uh, military there is. And they just keep hitting civilians by accident. Uh, and golly gee, they, they just knocked out electricity in their giant air uh, outside uh, prison for a whole year. I don't know why the Palestinians would get upset at the Israelis. I mean, why don't you just bow your head... Go crawl into the cave that we told you to crawl into and accept your occupation. Why can't a people know when they are conquered? We've been occupying you for 47 years. Didn't you get the memo? We're never going to let you go. More from Reuters. Gaza City Municipality said the damage to the station could halt many of the area's water pumps and it urged residents to ration water consumption as well. Just because electricity being knocked out wasn't bad enough. We're not sure you should be able to drink water either. I don't know what they're complaining about. I mean, they had all the opportunity in the world, you know? And look at what happened. They made us do this. See, I'm constantly told that Hamas has this brilliant plan of getting Palestinians killed so that Israel can look bad. 
Was it also Hamas's plan to knock out the electric plant and the water supply so the people there wouldn't have electricity and water? Now, if it was their devious plan, why is Israel playing along with it? Why are they helping Hamas by killing all those civilians and knocking out their electricity and water? You would think that they wouldn't want to have help Hamas. Hmm. Or perhaps both sides that want war are perfectly happy with this situation. They both get more popular the tougher they get on one another. You think it's an accident that, oops, golly gee, we just occupied for 47 years. Uh, we didn't intend to. They made us occupy them. They made us occupy them. And they made us take away all their electricity. And what they made us give those warnings that scared the living crap out of everybody. And then if they don't listen to the warnings, they made us kill them. They made us do it. So now we go to um, mom in Gaza, Hayat Abu Amer. She's a 47-year-old mother. And uh, she said, my husband begged me to stay home, but I still went. Each time I said goodbye to them, as if it could have been the last time we saw each other. Now, uh, Al Jazeera America reports, in Gaza, some women tell their children that explosions are just fireworks and the war is just a game. Abu Amer, meanwhile, watches to ensure her children do not wander into a morgue or the hospital as the family finds temporary refuge in a small garden behind Shifa Hospital. Of course, later Shifa Hospital was also hit. Now, is it to say that the Palestinian representatives in the last 47 years are blameless? Of course not. Is it to say that Hamas did not take part in these hostilities? Of course not. They did. And right-wing fundamentalists of all stripes gained from war. And we have been blaming uh, both of those sides throughout this conflict for their role in this but you have to understand something, as Martin Luther King talked about. If you are the stronger party, you have an obligation. You have a moral obligation. You see, I, I'm getting another talking point over and over every day. They say, oh, why don't people criticize ISIS as much or Bashar al-Assad? Which planet are you living on? First of all, we have done countless stories well before the rest of the media on how horrific ISIS was and what a despot, dictator, brutal killer Assad is in Syria. Second of all, the whole world knows that already. Is there a big debate going on? Ooh, there's the pro-ISIS people and the anti-ISIS people? No, 100% of the media, the world, America condemns ISIS. Now, are you saying that Israel is the equivalent of ISIS, that we should treat them the same way? No, that makes no sense. Israel's our ally. We don't give ISIS $3 billion a year. We give Israel $3 billion a year. Is it not fair to ask them, hey, when we give you the money, can you act with a certain amount of decency? And you're the stronger party here by a factor of 100, if not 1,000. Can you not show some mercy? Is that not fair to say of an ally? We're not talking about some... They, some people say, oh, why aren't there big protests in the street against ISIS? You think ISIS is going to listen to us? They're a terrorist group coming out of Iraq and Syria. They, they would be amused at our protests. Oh, duly noted, right? But Israel is supposed to listen to us, even if it isn't for the money. It's because we're their friends, we're their allies. They're supposed to be better than this. If you're an Israeli, aren't you mad? Aren't you mad that this is the face that the world sees? Not because they're being unfair to you, but because this is the face of your government. Hamas didn't make Netanyahu do anything. 
Netanyahu chose to do those things. And these people trapped inside that prison called Gaza are living in daily terror. You want to talk about terror, this is terror. Isn't Israel supposed to be better than this? That's what I thought. Don't you think that? So if you want to take solace in saying, well, Bashar al-Assad, the butcher of Syria, is slightly worse, I would not take solace in that if I was an Israeli or if I'm a U.S. citizen who considers Israel an ally. That is not a very good excuse. If you want to take solace in that Hamas is so powerful, they secretly control the Israeli government and make them do whatever they want for their PR advantage, I wouldn't if I were you. That seems like a poor position. You're responsible for your own actions. You don't have to do all of these things. And if you're stronger, you're supposed to have a responsibility to say, hey, you know what? Maybe at some point we should look inside ourselves and say, what would we have wanted done to us? Wouldn't we wanted some compassion, some mercy, and at some point, some peace? Forty-seven years. You know, that's longer than Chris and I have been alive. The question is, sorry, I'm losing my voice. The question is, will this ever get solved in our lifetime? I mean, this is just... One last RT clip before we get into the main show. Uh, yeah. Uh, because it's about, it, he mentioned the $3 billion. I think it's worth looking at the numbers. Uh, of course, RT is going to have to show us the money, right? Yeah. While U.S. President Barack Obama has joined the global chorus of world leaders calling for an immediate ceasefire in the Middle East, the unfortunate irony is that America has provided most of the weapons the Israeli military is currently using to wage war on Gaza. Washington is the largest single supplier of military equipment to Tel Aviv. As of 2009, Israel receives more than 95% of its weapons from the United States. That's according to Britain's former foreign minister, David Miliband. Israel also remains the top recipient of U.S. international aid, receiving $3.1 billion in annual foreign military funding. During the most recent budget year, the U.S. provided $235 million towards the production of Israel's Iron Dome anti-rocket system. And nearly $300 million of additional U.S. funding went towards other missile defense programs. Hey-o. These figures are according to U.S. Congress's own think tank. Since Israel launched Operation Protective Edge three weeks ago, hundreds upon hundreds of Palestinians have been killed. And according to the U.N., one out of every three killed in Gaza is a child. An additional 140,000 civilians on the Strip have been displaced. And while the U.S. has invested enormous capital in building up Israel's military might, Washington has much less control or influence over how Tel Aviv is using the American-made missiles and guns, it's armed with. Marina Portnaya, RT, New York. I, <clears throat> I just don't get life sometimes, man. I just... And I, I know... Go ahead. Lead. I was just loading up our next oh. clip. 
it, it's one of those things where I know there's going to be people on both sides that would pull me aside. And they say, well, here, here's why it is the way it is. And one's going to have a solid argument in one way. And then the next person would pull me aside and have the argument the other other direction. I say we just don't bother ourselves with that. Yeah. I mean, really. I, yeah. If people want to do that, that's, I mean, yeah. You're right. Yeah. That's exactly how it works. Yeah. And and w- w- what's so sad about it is look at the ultimate end game here. Whether you agree with one side or the other, people are losing their lives over crap like this. CNN has the resources, like no one else, to cover the Israel-Gaza conflict and in our commitment to go there and bring you the story, our reporters, such as Carl Penhall, can find themselves in harm's way. Watch what happened when Carl was reporting from Gaza just a few hours ago. Poppy, you would have seen the same... That was not the only close call for Carl and his crew in the last 24 hours. And Carl Penhall joins us now live from Gaza City. Carl, uh, you're seeing F-16s flying overhead right now? Absolutely. Uh, We have seen a number of F-16s flying overhead. And the reason I can tell is because as they go, uh, they're pumping out decoy flares on either side of the plane. That is because they clearly fear that Gaza militants on the ground may have some kind of surface-to-air missile that could potentially bring them down. And they're trying to avoid that. But they are taking relatively low runs over the city. We haven't heard any close quarters bombing so far. But in the course of the afternoon, we saw them in action over across the eastern border. They were dropping massive 2,000-pound bunker buster bombs down there. I would guess, although we had no confirmation, that they were trying to destroy some kind of tunnel complex across there, Jake. And Israel has been claiming that some of the strikes in Gaza are actually botched Hamas rocket launches. Uh, we're going to hold on one second. Well, are you okay there? Yeah, just just listen. Sorry I stopped you there, but again, that was one of those F-16 fighter bombers on a pretty low run over the skies of Gaza City. Across it. Here they go again. Are they dropping ordnance, Carl? There were two strikes. I heard two strikes across there in the distance. It wasn't close enough to see the flare up and uh, possibly over our our, our small uh, necktie microphone, you couldn't have heard it. But yes, a couple of impacts there, an F-16 coming over pretty low. Sometimes they'll swoop over low as a show of force to frighten any uh, militant fighters on the ground. But as I say, generally what they've been doing in the course of the evening is firing off those decoy flares as they go because they clearly fear that militant factions may have uh, these SAM surface-to-air missiles. And in fact, earlier in the evening when one did fly over, we did see some kind of rocket fire going out. It didn't appear to be the long-range Hamas rockets. It could have been uh, some fire from the ground to try and take those aircraft down. But, of course, uh, you'd need a lot of technology to bring one of those down. We're not sure that Hamas and the other factions have any of that, Jake. And, Carl, I I wanted to ask you, because the Israelis have been claiming that some of the uh, killed and wounded in Gaza have been individuals killed by Hamas's own rockets, uh, either misfiring or, or the launch was botched. Have you seen any evidence one way or another? In terms of them causing casualties by rocket misfires, no. We haven't seen that, even in the cases where the Israeli military says this may have been a Hamas rocket fire, such as the school incident in northeastern Gaza the other day. 
we specifically went to the school to see if we could find any debris for any particular munitions. We didn't find any tail fins or any debris from rockets. That said, we have seen misfires from Hamas and other militant rockets. Remember that although the technology may have come from outside countries such as Iran, Syria, possibly even Russia, that a lot of these rockets are home-built. And so uh, there, there is a failure factor there. We have seen some of these rockets kind of implode as they head into the air. We've seen some of the rockets just kind of fizzle out and break up on the ground. They're junk. Uh, so there are misfires. Somebody suggested, are they getting to the bottom of their barrel? Uh, are they running out of an estimated arsenal of 10,000 rockets? Or they still seem to be firing them off pretty regularly. Not only are they junk, but then they're going up against Iron Dome. Yeah. I mean, first off, imagine that you're a reporter out there. You're a, you're a, basically a war correspondent. Legit reporting. Legit reporting. You're out there, and you're in the middle of giving a live report. I know, right? And then all of a sudden, there's jets flying over your head. Yeah, isn't that something? Bombs going off in the in distance. Wasn't that something? That's why I played that one. I just thought that was... I actually honestly felt scared for the guy. Yeah. And you see like them try to move the camera and stuff. And, and, then, uh, and then imagine if you're just a normal person. In that, and you're hearing that every day. We can't ever we even can picture. Never, it. We can never. No. There's no way. No, and I think that's part of the reason why we can be so detached about it, uh, and people can pick such. Or people are so polarized yeah, about it. Yeah, because they don't see the gray yeah. of the human life, whereas mm-hmm. really where the gray is. Uh, so this is uh, what we're about to talk about today. We're going to have to jump in the wayback machine because uh, this conflict, unfortunately, is not really all that new. A second barrage of tornadoes. Whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a barrage of tornadoes. Attention in the Middle East. Over the Gulf of Aqaba blockade develops into full-scale war, with reports of heavy fighting between Israeli and Egyptian forces along the Gaza Strip and the Sinai border. Earlier, the U.S. aircraft carrier Intrepid steamed through the Suez Canal, although no American units are alerted. Our State Department says we are neutral in word, thought, and deed. Earlier, a mass rally in Cairo by Arab socialists shows support for UAR President Nasser, who meets with King Hussein of Jordan to sign a five-year mutual defense pact. The signing annoys Syria, to whom Jordan recently closed her borders. Formerly, Hussein was moderate toward Israel. Jordanian trucks and tanks roar through the desert as each side accuses the other of attacking first. Despite two reported air raid attempts, Jerusalem is relatively calm. Israeli Chief of Staff General Yitzhak Rabin visits and inspects troops in the Negev Desert near the Egyptian border. A UN ceasefire request is supported by the U.S., while Russia accuses America and Britain of encouraging Israel to attack. Isn't this amazing? <laughs> wow. Isn't this amazing? Like, there you go. There's the news update from 1967. <laughs> no, no, wait, no, it's not. That, that, that was from last week. <laughs> That was from last week, Isn't right? Isn't that disappointing? Wow. <laughs> Stupid humans. Guys, come on. Let's figure this out, okay? <laughs> I think we could do better than this. Uh, all right. I'm going to play one last clip in the, cause while I go potty and uh, refill my drunk. I got to refill my drunk. Uh, going in the overtime folder, we got plenty, 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 plenty of clips. Um, you know, I do like to track. This is totally unrelated. Now I've gone us and I've focused us, and I've gotten us all set up to Way talk to about our topic, and Way I don't to want to change the topic, but... All right. I mean, 
Have you heard about the Ebola virus? Uh-huh. You want to, you want, should I play an NBC clip about the Ebola virus? Sure. You, are you okay with that? I'm you, all right. Are you down with Ebola? I mean, I got my suit on. I all got right. my hazmat suit and on. And then I'll go potty, I'll refill my drink, and we'll, we'll uh, fire things back up here. Uh, and we'll get the show started uh, once uh, this clip finishes. And we begin here again tonight with the spread of this Ebola virus. It's devastating in the countries where it's breaking out. And, of course, it can travel by air right along with an infected passenger. We learned today the first American to die in this Ebola outbreak was a diplomat, a man who flew while sick from Liberia to Nigeria and was exposed, presumably, to a lot of people. The disease is now officially out of control, and because of fear and people fleeing, the security situation in Western Africa is now dangerous. The other Americans who are ill are aid workers in grave condition. We begin tonight at the headquarters of their organization in North Carolina, where they've ordered the evacuation of some of their own people. NBC's Stephanie Gosk is there. A lead organization fighting Ebola in Liberia says the situation on the ground has become too dangerous. The disease is spreading. Civil unrest is growing. When the disease progresses, people get afraid. And uh, they can get afraid, and that can be manifested by uh, a relief agency's vehicle going up a road and being attacked. Roughly half of Samaritan Purse's 50-person staff, including children, spouses, and non-medical workers, will be pulled out. Nancy Wrightbull and Dr. Kent Brantley cannot leave, now in isolation, fighting the deadly virus hour by hour. The 33-year-old doctor's condition has worsened. Last night wasn't a good night for him. Dr. Brantley's mother, Jan, says she is doing the only thing she can. We will continue to focus on praying for Kent. I had to tell Ava, my five-year-old, that her daddy's in heaven. But in Minnesota, one family is already in mourning. Patrick Sawyer, a Liberian finance minister and a U.S. citizen, was supposed to return home to them this summer, but contracted Ebola and died on a trip to Nigeria. Ebola came this close to coming, and it missed us this time, but it might not miss us next time if we don't do something now. Now officials in Nigeria say they are tracking 59 people so far who may have had contact with Sawyer who flew through two airports. Just the first example of the outbreak jumping borders in the air and raising concerns here in the U.S. There are 84 flights a week leaving these affected countries that fly to cities with direct connections onto the U.S. Oh. I don't think it's realistic to expect that nothing is ever going to slip through the cracks. The issue to global health security is a shared international responsibility. Are you worried, Chase? Do you think, uh, do you think we're going to get Ebola here in the uh, U.S.? I, I did think about it, and I think we will see some cases. Yeah, I yeah. think it's just a matter of time. Probably. The, uh, the danger, of course, is how we treat the quarantine situation. Um, and it's... I don't know if you've read much about it. It's bad. But it's effing bad. It's real it's, bad, Chase. It, Chase, it's, it's real bad. It's something It's something you don't want to mess with. It's, it's real bad, Chase. It's really, really bad. Hey, uh, should we shake it off with a little unfilter? I got another. Listen to this. Ready for this? You hear that? That's the yeah. show notes. Listen to this. All right, I'll do it again. Okay, ready? Yeah. That, that's better. Yeah. That's the show notes in printed form. Wow. They are redonkulous. Look at this. I. Do you have an iPad? <laughs> I was actually thinking about maybe I should, should do, that. Just do that. Maybe yeah. I should, but it's nice to have something physical here, and then I can, you know, I can keep track of. Where so you can be like the real news, uh, top story. Yeah, yeah. That way, if my teleprompter breaks, it's true. Uh, the script, right. the script that we read every day. Right. The 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 teleprompter script. The teleprompter script. Of course.
This is Unfiltered, episode 108 for July 30th, 2014. Now, we have an option not to do anything, to let them continue to shoot. And I, I think you'd understand that's not a real option. Or we can act as is surgically as is humanly possible in a very difficult combat situation. Well, the most unfortunate thing is that despite the most sophisticated weaponry in the whole of the Middle East, you have proved a very serious point. You do not have the capacity. You cannot forensically attack an urban area without killing women and children. Ergo, you have factored in that you will kill children and women. Welcome once again to episode number 108 of Unfilter, Jupiter's broadcast, Jupiter's derp, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news that you should not be watching. My name is Jason. It's joining me every single week is a lovely and talented and a little hot Chris Fisher. Hey there, Mr. Chase, reporting live from Jupiter HQ and JB1 Studios. Aren't, isn't it more cooler over on the moons of Jupiter? <laughs> yeah. Because, well, man, We should be there. Yeah, it's getting warm. It is getting hot in here. It is definitely getting hot in here. I feel like this has been one of those days, too, where I, I had to take breaks because the only room that has decent air conditioning is this studio room. Yeah. Yep. So, apologize. I apologize ahead of time if you guys hear a little fan noise the, in the, the background. Biggest, the biggest, best investment I ever bought <laughs> was, a, was a room air yeah. conditioner. I told Ange, I'm like, Ange, I think next year uh, we're going to go all house because like then, you know, you leave here. It's like, well, upstairs we have to edit. And when you edit, turns out computers like turn into space heaters. Now, you have uh, AC back at JBHQ, right? Yeah. yeah yes. Well, I yeah. figured whoever needed AC anywhere else. <laughs> I never would be leaving, right? Yeah, no kidding. So uh, we're going to try to tackle a topic today and hopefully not offend everybody in the process. You know, by saying that, that means you're going. To, we're going to offend people. Well, we'll get to that when we we'll cross that bridge when okay. we need to. I've got some thoughts on that, but right. you know, there's actually been some interesting developments in one of our favorite stories to continue to cover, and that's the NSA and yeah. our changing privacy landscape out over, there. We've been covering it now for over a year. Yeah, over and 52. Episodes. I would say this news this week that came out yesterday is the first really positive news we have seen as we have seen as a result of all the NSA revelations I'm in the last year. I know. I'm skeptical. So uh, Senator Patrick Leahy introduced legislation on Tuesday to ban the U.S. government's bulk collection of America's telephone records and internet data to narrow how much information they can ex- they can seek in a particular search. So I want to play this clip for you and then we'll set it up. All right, now to the latest in the battle for NSA reform. Senator Patrick Leahy introduced new legislation today that puts sweeping limits on U.S. surveillance through the USA Freedom Act. Here's Leahy announcing the bill this morning. This is a debate about Americans' fundamental relationship with their government, about whether our government should have the power to create massive databases of information about its citizens, or whether we are in control of our own government, not the other way around. The aggressive bill is seeking to address concerns that tech companies and civil liberties proponents had expressed about a previous House bill that passed back in May. So we've talked about that before, and that was a bill that was primarily uh, influenced by uh, Mike, your buddy, Mike Rogers. My buddy, my good and, friend. And uh, your other buddy, Diane Feinstein. So this awesome friend. Lehe here has come up with something uh, pretty nice. It's actually pretty aggressive. It's not perfect, but there's some serious improvements. 
So what's in this new bill, and can it realistically get passed before Congress goes to recess in August? To discuss, I'm joined by RT producer Tyrell Ventura. Tyrell, hey, Tyrell. it's good to have you on. So one of the things people were really concerned about with the last bill um, is that it would have still allowed for broad collection of data. Apparently the language in it was, was very vague. Uh, what does this new version uh, address? Does it address that issue? Well, Senator Leahy you know, really went in and, and, and beefed up that initial uh, bill, he basically abandons bulk collection of data completely. Uh, it requires the government to kind of narrowly limit its scope uh, in, into the, you know, into its, of its collection, and it makes clear the government cannot just kind of broadly collect all types of information uh, relating to, you know, a specific service provider like an AT&T or, or uh, Verizon or something like that. Uh, and it can't do it uh, for geographic region either, so it can't just scoop up information the way it was from like a zip code or an area code mm -hmm. or, you know, a city. It has to vary, it has to narrow its, its perspective, narrow its scope of all the searches. Um, what else is interesting is like both the original bill and Leahy's bill that, that it basically says the NSA would no longer systematically collect records of America's phone bills. So they, you know, they instead stay with the phone companies rather than going to the government first. You know, so like the NSA has to go to the phone company first. Um, it's it's a it's a very all-encompassing bill, and one of the really interesting parts about it too is that it it's it puts uh, on the FISA court, you know, the very controversial, secretive FISA court. It all also puts in uh, civil, civil liberties advocates on that court. Now, they can't determine the outcome, but at least they can make a case. So every time the government brings a case to the FISA court saying we need to collect mm -hmm. data from this person. At least it makes it a more inclusive, transparent Yeah, process, the civil liberties right? can be there to say, hey, hey, you could be stepping over something. They can make an argument. Now, now Chris, yeah. did you know that the, I don't know, I know, I noticed you didn't have this in the rundown, so forgive me if you have a clip on this, <laughs> but uh, the judges on the FISA court, did you know? Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you pulled this up. Yes. Tell the people about this. I did not put a link to this in the show okay, notes. Okay. So I, I submitted this to the unfiltered subreddit. So egregious. All right. So judges have a moral and legal like obligation to disclose certain things. Like, for example, I had a lawsuit involving a pipe that was in my house. And <laughs> this is a true story. I know. I know. I'm going a roundabout way in this. So I sued the previous tenants or previous owners of my house for not disclosing the plumbing issues on the housing disclosure form. I took it to court. The judge at the top of the court said, hey, I know the defendants of this case. I'm, I'm going to recuse myself from the case because I have a conflict of interest. All right. So now fast forward to the FISA court. You have judges that are sitting on the court deciding these. By the way, it's, they're not really deciding. They're rubber stamping everything. These judges own Verizon stock. This Verizon is stock. Uh, here's hey, here's why, dude. Because what yeah. what happened to the telco CEO who didn't play ball with the NSA? Quest CEO. Oh, he oh, went to jail. Yeah. And you know what else happened to Quest? All of their government contracts were canceled. But if you are a telco who plays ball with the government, then you as a government employee knows that they're going to continue to receive those big, fatty federal contracts. So you might as well invest in their stock because you know what direction their profits are going because they're going to be sucking off the tit of the feds. 
And if you're Quest and you don't play ball, you're well, then you sell the stock because you know that company's going to get all their contracts pulled. Yeah, on May 28th last year, J- Judge James Zagel, a FISA court member since 2008, purchased stock Boom. in Verizon. In June of this year, Zagel signed off on a government request to the FISA court to renew the ongoing metadata collection program. He's not the only one. The disclosures show that FISA court judge Susan Wright purchased stock valued at $15,000 or less on October 22nd, and awesome. FISA court judge Dennis Slayer has owned Verizon stock, and he collected the last year a dividend of less than $1,000. When I saw this... Some of the numbers are low, some of the numbers are high. It it's, doesn't matter. Even if it's a dollar, yep. they should be recusing themselves from the case. Yep. The, That's unbelievable, isn't it? Wh- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, you know, so Leahy is trying to pass some sort of reforms here, trying to get a, uh, you know... A, at least some sort of handle on this, and you have to wonder if maybe it's the tech companies I'm that just, are influencing this. I'm just afraid. I'm just afraid, though, with any bill that goes through Congress, with the exception of the uh, uh, unlocking of your cell phone right, right, bill, right. everything always gets neutered. It yeah. always gets stripped out, and yeah. by the time it gets to the president's desk, yeah. it's like a lukewarm wannabe fuel. White House bill. has already signaled they're supporting this version of the bill. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't believe that. Well, here's why. Well, it, it allows them to disclose to the public this is uh, tech details companies. of the requests they receive from the government. Uh, so every time the government comes to them saying we need information from you regarding X, Y, and Z, uh, you know they got a lot of heat from the American public uh, saying, you know, why did you just hand this over to the government? Why are you just kind of a, you know, swinging? You know, why is your doorway wide open to them? Well, now they can kind of say, well, we can share with you. Uh, you know, every time the government mm-hmm. comes for, to us for with a request, which is that's a, that's a very important thing for them because yeah, they, they lost a lot of money. They lost a lot of money. So actually, it's unbelievable how much money they're losing. And I think this is why there's pressure on the politicians. Uh, get ready for this. Citing concerns from talk, uh, top executives of Microsoft, Cisco Systems, and other companies, a report made it clear that NSA spying could damage the $150 billion industry for cloud computing services. Just cloud computing services. Uh, the immediate pain point is lost sales and business challenges, said Chris Hoppenzer, the policy director for the BSA Software Alliance, a Washington-based trade association that represents companies including Oracle, Microsoft, Apple. The technology companies may lose as much as $35 billion all told in the wow. next three years from foreign customers choosing to buy their products over concerns that they might have spy programs in them. Well, part of the problem, Chris, is when you have, I don't know, routers that are being intercepted and then having their you know the technology installed like Cisco for example and then repackaged and sent off and Cisco has no idea and then all of a sudden right it comes back you're going to lose business it's going to kill you bad news though it's not win win I knew, I knew it wasn't. There is there is a gotcha. I hope, uh, the administration also makes significant gains if this legislation passes. Oh. Uh, most importantly, it codifies the authority that is now highly contested, and it pushes back a scheduled sunset of the authority that is approaching rather quickly that the NSA relies upon. In short, throughout this bill, there seems to be an institutionalization of government authority in exchange for regulation of the government, which the government is likely to regard as burdensome, uh, and too much transparency. Whether this works ultimately in favor of the government or civil liberties probably depends on whether the industry ends up maintaining call records, in which case the institu- institutionalization of government access to them will probably prove more important. You want to make a Red Book prediction here? Yeah. Does, all right. Does this pass or not? I'm saying no. 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 No, I don't even know if we need to put the Red Book because here's why. Yeah. Uh, they have a break coming up, and then uh, and, and then after they get back from the break, they've got two months until midterm elections. Yeah. So it's not going to happen, I don't think. 
But at least we got that cell phone unlocking bill done. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, uh, hey, at least Keith Alexander, your buddy. My buddy. My Keith good Alexander. Friend. Remember how we mentioned he's out charging banks a million bucks a month for his cyber protection? Oh, yeah. He's giving seminars and, you know, he's out there doing the circuit now. Turns out he's hawking a hacker intrusion detection service that he is getting, he's going to patent. He's going to patent this new system that only he has. Bless you, sir. Sorry, I'm a little I'm a little allergic to bullshit. So <laughs> it's just I thought it was money. <laughs> no, uh, money. too much so money. He was doing an interview with Foreign Policy on what could possibly justify his one million dollar a month fee. Now that he's retired from the NSA, and the answer Alexander said in the interview is this new technology. He says it's a unique approach to detecting malicious hackers and cyber intruders. Uh, that he kind of picked up from his experience on the NSA. And Alexander said he'll file at least nine patents and possibly more for a system to detect so-called advanced persistent threats. <laughs> what a bunch of crap. So, so, Dude, this is such so, smoke and mirrors. It's ridiculous. So not only he's going to get his pension from his work with the government, and you know he's going to get paid till he dies from that. And huge contracts. But now he's... He's going to become a patent troll, essentially. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just no. I mean, like, first of all, if he if he patents things like an IDS, which is like what Snort is, an open source intrusion detection system that monitors network traffic, looks for malicious activity, and then flags stuff. If he patents that, that's going to be awful because there's so there's still a huge industry out there that uses that technology. So I'm really oh curious God. to see what it is, and it's interesting to see this continue to move forward a little bit at a time, a million dollars a month. What is our world coming to, my friend? Hey, you know what? People can spend their money a lot wiser by supporting the Unfiltered Show by going over to patreon.com slash unfiltered. This is an audience-funded show. Chris, Chris, Sir, lay it can, on me. Can, you, can you lay down the fanfare that we used to play, the, uh, yeah, the Final Fantasy yeah, fanfare? Because I have to do this. You guys, you guys came through. Last week I asked you, hey, help us get over the 300. We were, I think, at like a 290-something. And I said, hey, look. Yeah. You know, whatever you can do, you know, we suggest $5, but, you know, the cool thing about Patreon is, you know, it allows great flexibility. It's a monthly pledge. It's a monthly whatever pledge. Whatever you can afford. Whatever you can do it, and it all helps, because remember, we don't do any sponsors on this show. Right. You know, everything is driven from you guys. Well, as, as last week, look what we talked about. This week, what we're about to talk to, you yeah. couldn't, I mean, you just wouldn't want to put a sponsor in that position. And, and, and we, a sponsor would definitely pull out, probably. <laughs> look at this. We made over 300 patrons. We're at 303. That's Great. awesome. Now, there's just three slots left in the swag yeah, slots. Yeah, we had a couple like of slots pull up. Now, here's the thing about becoming a patron. Not only you're directly you know, becoming an integral part of what we're trying to accomplish, but we also give you some cool kickbacks. <laughs> get it? Get it? Hey-o. Kickbacks? hey Yeah. If you're pledging at least $5 a month or more, what happens is you get an exclusive BitTorrent sync. So you can go back and check out all the various different clips that we've mm-hmm. done here on the show, but not... That's not all, Chris. No. 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 You get the overtime folder, too, yes. for every episode. And I got to tell you, this week and last week, there's a lot in that overtime folder. Maybe not... Uh, I mean, there's some stuff in there that's a little dark, but there's there, there's some stuff in there also that's not. I mean, it's there's it's really it's a great resource because it's it is a essentially weekly archive yep. of the most fascinating things that happened in the world that week that I managed to get multimedia from. Some of it is stuff you hear in the show. Some of it's a video version of what you hear in audio form. And some of it's stuff that never makes it in. It's the source code for every single episode of Unfiltered. You get that. You get the supporter show, which is an entirely separate show, which has more information, more content. This show was full. It was so full of info. Huge. 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 And you also get the 
straight up pleasure of keeping us on the air. That's right. Straight up, real talk, Chase. It's a pleasure. That's right. And the greatest thing is, you know, we're ever dreaming. We're ever pushing forward. We're very optimistic Mm -hmm. in our goals. You know, and someday, maybe, Chris, we can take this twice a week. Twice a week. And in the meantime, I might, we might, it might be time to sort of create a midterm goal because you see that C-SPAN is going behind a paywall. Really? You got to have full fledged cable. You're going to have to get full fledged cable in order to access C SPAN, which is a huge resource for this now, show. Now, granted, C SPAN. I know. Was it's funded by the cable. And, I know. The, yeah. That's their reason. But it would it would mean getting. I would need to get. See, right now, because at JB1, You'd we have, have to get big, You have to get a basic digital. At least. But yeah. then I've I'm, I'm got to get all the news channels. And I want to get BBC World. And like. So yeah. right now, a lot of this stuff I pull in either over the internet or I pull in via satellite radio. But C-SPAN is like a go-to resource every single week. If they put that behind the paywall, I might need to make a midterm goal to say if we get to the funding, I'm going to get the unfiltered news package and get us some news TV service in there, which sucks because this is a business, so i got to get the business package because Comcast is a bunch of jerks. And Well, hey, you know what? That's the greatest thing about money, right? Uh, you're, you're restricted to no competition here. Right. <laughs> well, maybe, I could know, get satellite. I was, gonna, I was just yeah. going to say, well, I might. Yeah. And now that. that one of them is taking Bitcoin, maybe I'll go that route. But oh, it's, some, right. it's yeah. something I'm thinking about. Like, maybe yeah. we'll work that into the funding because it's going to be a run, a monthly running cost that I have to... Yeah, that you'll have it, to absorb. It would, it would also just be good for the show in general. So. Well, think about it this way. You could actually have, like, a, think of it, the, the cable box or satellite box oh, at, yeah. your, at your editing oh, yeah. station and you're directly oh, capturing yeah. that. Info. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. It could be badass. I know. Yeah, it could be definitely badass. But those are extra costs Exactly. So if you want to support us, head over to patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you, everybody. You guys are awesome. And uh, if you're an unfiltered supporter, do check the unfiltered supporter show out, especially for the last couple of weeks. There's just been some great additional info in there. More context to everything we talk about. Oh, it's impressive. The, the back catalog of content oh! keeps getting better and better. All right. So I wanted to start talking about the situation in Gaza. People have been wondering... Guys, uh, this has been going on for a few weeks now. It's really ramped up. Why haven't you talked about it? Years, but. Yeah, it took about 47 years. But why haven't you been talking about the situation between Israel and Gaza and uh, Hamas, really? And I think John Stewart nailed it. I happened to be in the Portland, Oregon area watching The Daily Show on TV, and I saw this clip. And Speaking I thought, of TV. I thought to myself... This is exactly, exactly, exactly how I feel. So I want to play this before we start up so that way we're all kind of on the same page. We'll start tonight in the, in the Middle East where Israel... What? Israel isn't supposed to defend itself? Oh, yeah, if Mexico bombed Texas, will be exercised... What other countries held to the same standard as Israel? Israel. <laughs> Israel. That was weird. <laughs> anyway, what I was what I was saying was last Thursday saw the start of a new ground offensive launched by Israel. Um holy um Look, obviously there are, there are many strong opinions on, on this issue, but just merely mentioning Israel or questioning in any way the effectiveness or humanity of Israel's policies is not the same thing as being pro-Hamas. So you're against murder children? Free Hamas Gaza! Free Zionist pig! <laughs> 
You know what? Why don't we just talk about something lighter, like uh, Ukraine? (laughs) Yeah, I'm good with that. Which is exactly how I felt, Um, because this is just a thank. This this next topic is a thankless topic. We will eventually upset somebody. Do do you see that uh, pile of really dry wood over there? Yeah, exactly. And and do you notice how warm it is in here right now? Right, exactly. And do you also notice that bottle of charcoal lighter fluid that's over there? (laughs) I don't use lighter fluid. And and, and I noticed that the the electrical cord there on your laptop is kind of sparking a little bit. (laughs) Exactly. So are are you sure? Uh, and, you, you know, sh- I want to, my background on this, my bias, and I think, Chase, you might mirror me on this. Uh, before we get into this topic, I, you know, I, for the majority of my life, until my late 20s, lived a very non-political life. I was very, do- I doubled down on technology. I didn't care about politics. I really didn't follow the mainstream news too much. Uh, even even any particular religious affiliation eventually kind of faded away as I got into my late 20s. Until the world smacked me across the face with its dick, I didn't really give a crap about what's going on in the world. So when I come at this topic tonight, I don't come with a lifetime of a particular religious view. I don't come with a lifetime of a political party affiliation view. I come at this looking at the facts. Yeah. And I think you probably feel the same way. Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely agreeing with that. I've always considered myself... And I hate labeling even myself as a, as an independent. Sometimes I'm fiscally conservative. Sometimes I'm, I'm more social liberal. And some sometimes others. you feel like a nut. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes you, you don't. don't. <laughs> but, so yeah. to really put some context in what the hell is going on between Israel and the Palestinians and Hamas, I think it's best if we take a trip in the Wayback Machine and go back to 1967 and discuss a little bit of the Six Day War. Israel's port city of Elat, one of the Middle East's hottest spots following a blockade of the Gulf of Aqaba by the United Arab Republic. Ten years ago, Israel went to war over the same blockade, which cut off oil pipelines to Haifa refineries. Oil tankers and vital shipping arrive at this important city. The provocative war of nerves causes Israel to call up army reservists, ordering them to active duty to augment the regular 70,000-man Israeli armed force. Premier Levi Eshkol says Israel has no intention of attacking its Arab neighbors, no. calling for a mutual reduction of, of Arab-Israeli forces massed along the border. Of course. But taking no chances, tank units go through battle maneuvers in the Negev Desert. So the Six-Day War was fought between June 5th and June 10th, 1967, by Israel and the neighboring states of Egypt, United Arab Republic at the time, Jordan, and Syria. The war began on June 5th with Israel launching a surprise strike against Egyptian airfields after the mobilization of Egyptians' forces on the Israel border. There was weeks of tension leading up to this uh, that preceded this war. Uh, and it's, it's now seen by many as an unbelievable amount of victory in six days, essentially Israel won a war in six days and tripled its territory size. In this process of the Six-Day War in 1967, it claimed the Gaza Strip. This is since this point in time, Israel has had this Gaza Strip that is where the Palestinians live, and they've been sort of restricted to this area. Uh, This is You kind of have to understand the history of where some of this comes from. Uh, And and in some ways, 
the Six-Day War is looked back as one of the most impressive military operations in the history of military operations. Songs were made about it. Popular songs were made about it. Books and movies have been written about the Six-Day War. It's kind of unbelievable. And for, to get a complete visual perspective, please visit our show notes for episode 108 and take a look at some of the maps that we have in there that sort of give you a visual perspective of the size of the Gaza Strip versus the rest of Israel yep. and things like that. Um, Here's some information about the Gaza Strip. Gaza has an annual population gra- uh, growth rate of 2.91%. Uh, they wow. have the 13th highest in the world, and Gaza is insanely overcrowded. There is the limited capacity to construct any new homes and facilities. The territory is 25 miles long. 25 miles long. That's basically... From here from, to Everett. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, in width... It's 3.7 miles in, uh, wide and uh, up to 7.5 miles wide in some areas. It gives you a grand total of 141 square miles. As of 2014, Palestinians of the Gaza Strip numbered around 1.82 million people in this area. The large Palestinian refuge population makes it among the most densely populated parts of the world. Okay. This 25-mile-long strip is one of the most densely populated places in the world. This is what we're talking about here, the Gaza Strip. Now, uh, it has been run by Hamas following the Hamas victory in the 2006 Palestinian legislation elective. Hamas formed a Palestinian Authority national unity government headed by uh, Islami, I think is how you say his name. Shortly after Hamas took control of the Gaza Strip in the course of the Battle of Gaza, seizing the government institutions and replacing the other government officials. So it's now run by, by Hamas, which is a, essentially a terrorism group, because they've been living under 47 years of control from Israel. So now they're pissed off, obviously. So, so they voted in this group knowing that they're a bad group. I don't know how much voting was involved. But okay, yeah, but, yeah. but basically they said, go ahead, we want you to represent us, essentially? I don't know. I'm not. See, this is you're asking me areas I'm not f- super familiar. Yeah, with. yeah. I, I don't know the details of how these people got in power, but I do know back then they got in power, and Israel has a huge issue with them, uh, and so that that plays a key role in who they're negotiating with and who they're do, who, who they're dealing with. Right. Uh, and uh, it started three weeks ago when some teens went missing, and this was sort of the pretext to move into the Gaza Strip. They are abducted in the dark of night while attempting to hitchhike home from religious school in the West Bank. It's June 12th when the three Israeli teenagers go missing. Realizing they're in danger, one manages to make this call for help. It's the last anyone hears from them. Three days later, June 15th, the boys still aren't home. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu publicly blames the terror group Hamas, warning of serious consequences. This attack should surprise no one, because Hamas makes no secret of its agenda. Hamas is committed to the destruction of Israel and to carrying out terrorist attacks against Israeli civilians including children. But he offers no proof Hamas is directly involved. Netanyahu's comments are stupid comments. The (laughs) occupation is totally responsible for the escalation in the West Bank against our people and leadership. June 20th, Operation Brothers Keeper begins in the West Bank. 
a full-scale effort to find the three Israeli teenagers. More than 1,000 homes are searched. More than 150 Palestinian suspects are detained. Ten days later, June 30th, the bodies of the missing boys are discovered in the West Bank. Three innocent boys that did nothing, did nothing wrong in their life. They're so holy, they're so pure. And this Hamas just want to kill them. The Israeli prime minister delivers on his threat. With Israel launching airstrikes into Gaza and the West Bank shortly after the bodies are found. They destroy the homes of two suspects in the kidnapping that Israel calls Hamas terrorists. The abducted teenagers are buried the next day, July 1st. Hamas, always quick to claim credit for acts of terror, denies it ordered the killings. And questions swirl about whether or not they are really involved. A day later, July 2nd, a 17-year-old Palestinian teen is abducted while heading to a mosque. His body found later in a Jerusalem neighborhood. He'd been burned alive. Israel condemns it, calling it a revenge killing. The next day, July 3rd, a cell phone captures this horrifying video of what appears to be Israeli police beating a Palestinian-American teenager, stomping on him and kicking him. He is the cousin of the Palestinian teen killed the day before. Israel is investigating, questioning whether the teen was an innocent bystander. By the way, on that, on that video clip, they also showed that on uh, the local news because the family was actually uh, in the Seattle metro area visiting. And Israel, um, I don't know if they're going to say in this clip, but they said that that clip was doctored. They said it was conveniently edited to show it in a bad light. Those are those are their words, not mine. On July 7th, Israel launches Operation Protective Edge to stop rocket fire into Israel. Over 100 airstrikes since then, over 1,000 dead, mostly Palestinian civilians. What began with the death of three young teens, now a full-out war, and still no proof of how it started. That is the part that bugs the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously I know tensions are high. They've been high for a long time. It is interesting that the military, that, that cell phone video of the military beating uh, a relative of one of the other boys that went missing. Yeah. It's pretty damn convenient. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, now the problem is, is regardless of, of whatever the reality on the ground is, Israel has begun to massively lose the publicity fight because people are sharing images of really some horrible, horrible events that are happening, including a U.N. school being bombed. New Israeli attacks in Gaza overnight killed more than 60 Palestinians. A Gaza health official says at least 15 died when a tank shelled a U.N. school being used as shelter. That attack... See, what gets me about this one is this is... Uh, this it was uh, a tank assault. Not one tank either, but many tanks. And it's one thing to bomb something from the air and maybe not have a, a, a full understanding uh, of what you are bombing. It is a, a totally another thing when you were there on the ground with a tank. Um, uh, you know at that point what you're shooting at. Used a shelter. That attack happened hours after UN workers found hidden missiles in a different school that was empty. Israel claims Hamas is hiding those weapons. Barry Peterson. There's been three claims of that, by the way, that they're using uh, UN schools or hospitals to hide weapons. Uh, I wouldn't be too surprised to find out if there wasn't people helping them do that at these facilities now that we find out there's three, uh, it's happened in three right. circumstances. Yeah. Is in Gaza City, where rockets and shells are still falling. 
Barry, good morning. Good morning, Charlie. Well, if anything, the Israeli attacks seem to be intensifying. They say they have hit more than 4,000 targets since this war began, but it was hitting one part target that left people here stunned. For the second time in a week, shells plowed into a UN school where refugees, chased from their homes by the fighting, were crammed into classrooms, believing that under the UN's protection, this was a safe haven. Instead, And you have to keep in mind the population density of the Gaza Strip. There's really nowhere for them to go. So a UN school would seem like the best option to them. It was a safe haven. Instead, it was a target. We were sleeping under the UN's protection, this woman said. It is enough. Have mercy. Mercy, like medical supplies, is in short supply here. But not mourning. That's never in short supply when metal tears through flush. To give you an idea of how popu- how dense the population is, so this school had 3,300 Palestinian refugees, refugees in it taking shelter. Yep. 3,300. That's how dense this thing is. That's, that's the situation we're dealing with here. And I, I, I want to take a moment here because, the, 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 you know, we're talking about bombing U.N. schools, homes. The pre-show, we talked a lot about this. So let's break down a little bit of the Israeli official logic on why the human cost is so high and why they're doing this. You know, there have been uh, cases where in Europe where there's a you know, growing anti-Israeli sentiment. Uh, are you concerned that Hamas, which is a terrorist organization which has made clear that its number one priority is, is to, to end the country and existence of Israel, that they might be gaining traction internationally in this PR war. This is the uh, Fox News, uh, America's newsroom, and the former ambassador to Israel. And that is precisely Hamas' tactic. You know, Hamas doesn't think it can destroy Israel with its rockets and with its terror tunnels. But what it can do is drag Israel into a situation... Terror tunnels. Terror tunnels where we have to strike at Hamas. Hamas is hiding behind its civilian populations. Civilians get killed. Bad images get put on television and the Europeans start demonstrating. And then that translates into diplomatic pressure on Israel and delegitimization. That is the great threat that Israel faces is the delegitimization. And it works every single time. We go through this round of Israel being condemned and the terrorists being able to build ever bigger arsenals of weapons that they then fire at us in the next round. We have to break that now. We gotta- so the reason why they're being so relentless is because we have entered into a cycle. We have to break this cycle like a bad dog who keeps shitting on your carpet. You've got to break the cycle. Break the cycle. We've got to get Hamas to really give up its weapons. We've got to crush Hamas. And we need the time and the space. To- we got to crush Hamas. We've got we to gotta stop arming Hamas. But, you know, let's keep funding Qatar, who's actually supplying Hamas with weapons. We're going to give Qatar an $11 billion weapon contract. And then they turn around and they re-gift those weapons over to Hamas. But we've got to cut it off. Do yeah. that, Martha. You know, one of the headlines this morning, Gaza war, hugely popular in Israel. Uh, it talks about how strong the support is for Benjamin Netanyahu right now. Uh, you know, it basically, it seems that the sentiment in Israel is that the people there want to go all in, that they want to crush Hamas, that they feel like this is the opportunity to do it. And then, you know, at the same time, you have all this discussion of ceasefire. So which is it? 
Well, you know, Israel has a very vibrant democracy, and Israelis don't agree with each other on very much, but we're witnessing close to 100% support uh, for this war. With the painful price uh, we've paid, more than 50 soldiers have been killed. That's a very high price for a country of this size. More than 50 soldiers, Chase. Uh, more than 50 soldiers, of course, as of July 8th. We believe that 1,300 Palestinians, most of which, 80% of which are civilians, have died. And the majority of them have, have died from air, air assaults, correct? There's, or shellings, yeah, or tank so, attacks. Yeah. So, so if that being the case, and they, and they, and they really want to get in there and, and get the terrorists and get Hamas, what's wrong with the ground attack? Hamas. 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 What's wrong with the ground attack? I mean, seriously, if you don't want to kill civilians... That's what, actually where they've done some of the most civilian killings is when they've done the ground oh, really? attack. Yeah. I, 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 I yeah. would think that, you know, via the air, you know, and, you know... Right, yeah, yeah, you would, yeah. I, well, here's the... I'm here's, no war expert. Here's the yeah. reality of the situation, and I've got all the details in the show notes. Yeah. So it is a... It is the 25-mile Gaza Strip versus... Get ready for this. Uh, so have you heard of the GMI? No. You know BMI, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Well, GMI is the Global Militarization Index. It depicts the relative weight and importance of the military apparatus of one state in relation to its society as a whole. For this, the GMI number of an indicator represents the following information of a country, Chase. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready uh, A when comparison you are. of military expenditures with gross domestic product. Okay. A comparison of military expenditures uh, versus health expenditures. Okay. A contrast between total number of military forces with the number of physicians and overall population. Okay. And the ratio of number of heavy weapons available to the overall population. So in the list of countries with the highest global militarization index. These are straight numbers only, statistics. Straight numbers. You know, you got Saudi Arabia comes in at number 10. Okay. Uh, Russia, Big Bad Putin, comes in at number four. South Korea, we obviously keeping an eye on the North. They're, don't number they spend eight. all their money, right? Yeah. They spend all their money, and they're in number yeah. eight. Number eight. Number one. Number one. Israel. Wow. So it is the number one it, it, Number one against the Gaza Strip. So when they talk about this, you've got to keep this proportionality in mind here. The proportionality, I believe, is the key to the moral justification, and I think they're way out of whack here when you think about the proportionality of force. So I'll continue the clip. Uh, Israelis are determined to continue this fight to break once and for all that cycle of violence where we get ceasefires imposed on us and the terrorists exploit those ceasefires to build up their rocket arsenals and then fire them at us. Uh, and Israelis understand. So the terrorists are using the ceasefire to rebuild their arsenals and fire at Israel. The rocket arsenals and then fire them at us. Uh, and Israelis understand if we don't fight now, if we don't beat Hamas on the ground, we're going to face a stronger Hamas, a deadlier Hamas in another year or two. And actually, more Palestinians will suffer in that round than they're suffering now. Oh, so this is actually what we're, the fight we're fighting do is it. not just for Israel. It ultimately will save Palestinian lives we're as well. We're trying to save Palestinian lives. Wait. We're uh, trying right. to save Palestinian so lives. To days. save lives, we have to kill. Right. We have to kill we have to kill. Uh, if you look in the show notes, there is a there is a, a link called uh, video. It's a video of some song lyrics. It's actually kind of a catchy song. Uh, can I play a little bit of it for you? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, we don't normally do karaoke on the show. Oh no! But I just wanted to play. Can you find the lyrics? You'll find it in there. I'm looking for it. Show notes are so good, by the way. Come on, it's nice, Chase. It's catchy. I, I, yeah, buddy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Chase. Ole, ole, ole. Yeah. Oh, I got the lyrics. Oh, you want to read them to us? 
go ahead, Chase. Here, I'll, I'll I'll turn down so you can read over while they sing. So so Tibby is dead. Tibby is dead. Tibby is dead. Tibby is a terrorist. Tibby is a terrorist. They'll take their papers away. They'll take their papers away. And then there's the ole, ole, ole part. Ole, ole. In Gaza, there is no studying. No children are left there. Ole, ole. Tomorrow, wow. there's no school in Gaza. They don't have any children left. Ole, ole. Gaza is a graveyard. Gaza is a graveyard. Ole. I hate all the Arabs. Ole. Wow. So, obviously, there's extremists on all sides. There's the Hamas extremists, and there's the Israel extremists. Wow. Yeah. So, I think, you know, when we're taking shots at different terrorist groups and things like that, it's good to bear in mind that there's pieces of shit on all sides of this. People do it to us in America all the freaking time. And, unfortunately, the horrible thing about all of this is it's very likely not to go away anytime soon. Well, with efforts to work out a ceasefire going nowhere, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu warned his country today to prepare for a, quote, prolonged conflict in Gaza. In nearly three weeks of fighting, more than a thousand Palestinians have been killed, the vast majority civilians. Fifty-one Israelis have died. All but three were soldiers. Don Daler begins our coverage tonight in Tel Aviv. Mortar fire coming from Gaza today killed five Israeli soldiers and wounded several more. The IDF says its soldiers also battled militants who infiltrated Israel through one of Hamas's infamous tunnels like this one. Israel's prime minister warned the war would not be over while that threat remained. We will not stop without eliminating all terror tunnels, he says. The only goal of the tunnels is to kill our families and children, and this was made clear again today. Four hours later, explosive projectiles hit a playground in Gaza, killing 10, and Gaza City's main hospital. No one at the hospital was injured. Which is good. In 2012, Israel spent $15.2 billion on its armed forces, one of the highest ratios of defense spending to GDP among developed countries. That's $1,900 per person in Israel. Wow. Still below the U.S. Yeah, but... But it's that. But that, that uh, what was that, G or the... Uh, GMI, buddy. Yeah, GMI. It's that versus the Gaza Strip. It just doesn't seem very fair, does well, it? Well, it's like that versus a section of Los Angeles, if you uh, caught the clip in the support yes. show. Yeah. And uh, there, was a, uh, there was maybe one of the most brutal conflicts, uh, and it also involved uh, a bit of a controversy at NBC. NBC had a reporter on a beach at Gaza, and this is about as tragic as the story gets. He's playing ball with some Palestinian boys on the beach. And you can probably guess what happened next. Oh. Well, we're joined now from Jerusalem by the Israeli Prime Minister's spokesman, Mark Regev. Mark Regev, the operation that you're engaged in is Protective Edge, and its stated purpose is to protect Israeli civilians. Uh, how does killing children on a beach contribute to that purpose? Well, it doesn't. Right there. I mean, that's all you need. Do you want me to play any more? I mean, that's that's really, that's it. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. But he's going to say, however... You have sophisticated or... ships offshore there with some of the best and most uh, forensic sighting and uh, visual capacity. It's pretty hard to confuse boys running around with a ball on a beach. Well, let me be clear here. The, the story with these four boys is a tragedy. You can't look at those pictures and, and not be moved. But let's be clear, the Israeli military does not target civilians. It does not target children. 
And I don't believe the person who, uh, if it was an Israeli, who fired and, and killed those four boys knew that they were children. Now, Oof. you see, that's one claim to make. But the thing is, is actions speak louder than words. And yeah. when you're at nearly an 80% civilian casualty rate, that's, that's the number that matters. You look at this proportionally, there's just no moral grounds to this level of response to a people that... Firing rockets? How many rockets have hurt anyone in Israel? How many of them? Yeah. The biggest thing that happened to Israel is they had flights shut down for a couple of days, which affected tourism as a result of this. Right, and that's the only thing that they were concerned about. So this is something, I mean, obviously it's not a territory we normally follow, and it's not something we're experts in. But from from where we're sitting at, it seems to be a pretty effed up situation. Beyond. I mean, it's... It, obviously, it's gotten worse and worse over the past 47 years. And now, look where we're at, where you have, I mean, you have children on both sides. We're seeing video of a kid being beat by guards. Obviously, you know, some people think it's been doctored. Uh, There's always and, that. Every there, side. Every, every, every side. Every side's every got side. that. Yep. Oh, no, no. They are firing the rockets at us from the hospital. We're just bombing the hospital because a rocket came from there. I mean, they've each got their justification. So why don't we shift gears and do an MH17 update from last week? Uh, Because they did get their hands on the black boxes. And we've gotten some early data from those black boxes, which tell us... Well, we already knew. Depending on what side you're on, they tell you everything. The black boxes from Malaysia Flight 17 show the passenger jet suffered a massive explosive decompression, Ukrainian officials announced today. The spokesman for Ukraine Security Council saying in a press conference, experts of commission on investigation of causes of Boeing 777 crash informed us that the data from flight recorders shows the plane was destroyed by shrapnel coming from a rocket blast. Dutch authorities leading the investigation refuse to confirm that information. The Ukrainians should not use the investigation as a further hammer to advance their political uh, agenda. That is a Dutch investigative representative who's saying the Ukrainian government is trying to take something and run with it and claim it proves a missile and it does not prove anything of the sort. The Ukrainian uh, foreign minister was wrong to do this. The Dutch were quite right to be concerned. The Dutch Safety Board is planning to release its initial findings from the black boxes Friday. It will not be able to identify who fired the missile. It may not be able to identify where the missile came from. It can only say this plane tragically was destroyed at altitude suddenly. That's all we know at this point. The black box data has told us that, which we already knew. The plane has crashed. Uh, big, big deal. Now, uh, there was some good news that actually looked like things might be improving. We get some serious information. Uh, the separatists, local militia, agreed to work with Malay- the Malaysian Airlines to protect them while they're there investigating the crash. Oh. And investigators say they will try to make it back to that crash site again tomorrow. Meantime, Malaysia has secured an agreement, we've learned, with Ukrainian separatists to allow a group of international police personnel to provide protection for investigators. Very good. So the uh, separatists are going to provide protection for the investigators. That way they can get in there, look at the crash. Oh, what? 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 Oh, uh, sorry, Chase. Uh, Hold on. What? We're getting some. uh, Hold on, Chase. 
This is CNN Breaking News. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, Chase, ahead, uh, this yes. just in, the uh, Kiev government has decided to advance military operations in the area, thereby preventing the investigators from getting to the crash site. What? The Ukrainian military launching attacks on local militia near the site of the Malaysian plane crash. The fighting is uh, preventing international teams from reaching the scene. The army is believed to be storming the town of Torres right now, uh, right next to the site of the tragedy. And that is despite Ukraine's president, Poroshenko, ordering a no-combat zone 40 kilometers around the area earlier this week. You might notice, too, how damn close that is to the Russian border. A team of Australian and Dutch police and experts, as well as European security monitors, are staying in the regional capital, Donetsk, unable to reach the site of the crash. Oh! Earlier, local militia agreed for an international police presence at the scene. But so far, teams have had to abandon their plans due to the escalating violence in the area. European security monitors reported the situation on the ground appeared unsafe. So the Dutch investigators are out because it's too unsafe, because there's a lot of combat going on now. Not just combat, but ballistic missile strikes from the Kiev government, which the State Department was asked about and said, wait a minute here. So we're trying to do a ceasefire so investigators could get in there. And as check it out. Right. Soon as, the, as soon as the separatists agree to work with investigators, Kiev launches this attack, the, the largest escalation in this conflict, with the biggest amount of military firepower we have seen yet. What do you have to say about this, U.S. State Department? We have some reporting that um, the U.S. Um, has information that Ukrainian military has been firing short-range missiles at um, rebel strongholds in eastern Ukraine. And I'm wondering, you know, given that you're calling for a de-escalation, if you're concerned that the Russians will use this as a pretext for greater either involvement of Ukraine or possibly an invasion or something like that, like it does seem as if this is, you know, what Russians' actions notwithstanding. Remember last week we said it seems like they're trying to poke the bear. They're trying to, they're trying to, they're trying to get Putin to advance. Now we've got ballistic missile launches right on the border of Russia. Ukraine or possibly an invasion or something like that. Like it does seem as if this is, you know, what Russians' actions notwithstanding, this does seem to be the most powerful weapon used in the conflict so far. And I'm just wondering if this is a prov- provocation that Russia may seize upon. Well, um, you may have seen this morning that the Ukrainian foreign minister was asked about this at the press conference and spoke to it there. So I would certainly point you uh, to that. Well, he didn't really answer the question. but well, okay. Obviously, there's nothing I can add to or, uh, or communicate on this particular point from the podium. Um, obviously, any escalation would be concerned about. Um, but beyond that, I don't have much more to add. So, yeah, it's happening, but uh, we don't have any comments on it. <laughs> We, or I'm sorry, our backed government is escalating this conflict, trying to draw Russia in. I mean, and of course, now... Of course, and then hindering the investigation at the same time. Now, uh, the U.S. says, wait a minute, we're not the bad guys. It's Russia that's firing into the Ukraine. Today, an already tumultuous situation in Ukraine, becoming even more volatile. As the United States says, they now have proof that Russia is actively firing into Ukraine. The evidence, these photos, and data from U.S. intelligence satellites and radar. We have new evidence uh, that the Russians intend to deliver heavier and more powerful multiple rocket launchers to the separatist forces in Ukraine. Now, what's interesting is now we're actually releasing satellite images. Well, wait, we didn't release any satellite images for the... No, and Russia says, okay, well, finally, you release satellite images, and they're crap! Some journalists received the satellite pictures, which the U.S. presents as evidence of Russian shelling into Ukraine via email. 
But much of the world found out about it from the Twitter account of the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. One of the images, according to U.S. officials, shows Russian self-propelled artillery in Russia. And the other part of that same image, U.S. intelligence determined, shows craters inside Ukraine indicating strikes from artillery. The date on the picture is July 23rd. These images have changed quite a few hands before they made their way into the ambassador's tweets. On all of these pictures, you see the name of the company, Digital Globe, which is a commercial provider of satellite imagery and aerial photos. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence is said to have analyzed the pictures and written all these captions with their analysis. Then they handed it to the State Department to be released via Twitter. The (laughs) spokesperson of the Russian Defense Ministry had this to say. Such materials weren't posted on Twitter, coincidentally, since it's impossible to establish their authenticity due to lack of exact reference to the location and the extremely low resolution. Journalists now operate in an environment where both sides, that is the U.S. and Russia, brush off evidence put forward by the other. That is the reality of the situation. Both sides just release evidence, and then the other side says, look how ridiculous their evidence is. Look how ridiculous their claims are. And that is where we now sit. We sit between superpowers who have their media outlets who claim things against each other. So these are the digital uh, digital globe images. Yeah, buddy. Google Earth or whatever. We're showing these on the video stream. And... You're not... What? What I don't get is, okay, so this was released on Twitter, right? First off, uh, that's not how you release this kind of information, right? It seems to be now. But you don't. You, you <laughs> Not for a serious situation like this. You don't go in 140 characters or less and say, all right, here's a picture of what's going on. In my day, you told Walter Cronkite. Or right, you get on the Sunday evening news, you see, and you go ahead and talk about what's going on. No, I mean, you don't release yeah. commercial satellite photos and then put captions over it. Yeah, that does seem a little... And it's with weird. And also, no, no location information. Now, who knows? I, I could buy it. I mean, it, somebody's not lying. Somebody's probably not lying, Chase. Right, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, of course, there's also been word that uh, the U.S. is doubling down on Russia because they violated a 1987 missile testing treaty. Have you heard about this? Yeah. Yeah, we're bit. pretty upset about that. So, uh, uh, we'll stay tuned for that. I think there will be more about that in the future. We're going to keep watching on that. Fair but, enough. Chase, you know us. We like to end on a high note. On a- <laughs> oh, the New York <laughs> Times, man. The New man. York Times is getting heat for saying it should be okay for you to get high. What? After voters in Colorado and Washington State gave the green light for recreational use, the Times editorial board now wants the rest of the country to have the same opportunity. Jan Crawford is in Washington with the reasoning and the response. Jan, this story getting a lot of conversation. Good morning. Well, good morning, Gail. It really is. And at times, it's really just confronting it head on, not only with that editorial you mentioned, but with articles all week and an online discussion this afternoon saying it's time for the federal government to let states decide. The Times staked its position with the headline, Repeal Prohibition Again, and an American flag with stars changing to marijuana leaves. It's true that we have never endorsed uh, legalization of drugs before. David Firestone is a member of the Times editorial board. I don't see it as being any different than uh, having uh, a couple of uh, uh, glasses of wine with dinner uh, or a martini. If you want to make that choice as an adult, uh, you should be allowed to make it. 
The editorial argues that the war on pot is actually worse for America than using pot, saying the social costs of marijuana laws are vast and the result is racist, noting that enforcement falls disproportionately on young black men. Urging Congress to repeal the federal marijuana ban, it also discounts the health effects, saying marijuana is far less dangerous than alcohol. It may seem like edgy stuff from the so-called paper of record, but it reflects a sharp shift in public opinion. In the early 1990s, then-candidate Bill Clinton famously said, I didn't like it and didn't inhale. Most people then, 78 percent, oppose legalization, but now only 42 percent oppose it. I think uh, Clinton was probably more of a Coke guy than he was. Did you, did you see, by the way, the the transition? You like that? That that was a nice touch by the New York Times. Yeah, there. look That's, at them getting all HTML5 fancy. <laughs> HTML5. So what do you think about this? Well, first off, this goes back to the red book prediction. I, 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 I think this is laying the groundwork to remove marijuana as a Schedule mm. 1. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be a stair-step approach. And, I think- and this gives, like, uh, like the liberals who, who bleed blue, like, this gives them, like, the okay to talk about this. Yeah. It gives them, like, the yes. The, and also— well, the New York Times talks about it. We right. can talk about and it. And a lot of the media behaves that way, too. They're like, they wait till their master, the New York Times, talks about it, and then <laughs> yeah. they'll talk about it. Yeah. So I think this is big in that sense. But you look at the problems that are happening here in our state— where oh. where the overregulation has Jeez. caused multiple stores that they opened for like two days and they've been closed for the past three weeks. A long wait for green in order to make some green. Washington's recreational marijuana business can't seem to get out of first gear. After selling out of pot in less than three days, Seattle's Cannabis City got a small shipment tonight. And that shipment shows just how hard it is for these stores to stay in stock. Oh, such so, so stupid! There, they've been out of. So after three days, they sold out. They got supply for like one day, and now they're sold out again. It's yeah. so stupid. And and see, this is the inherent issue. And then here's here's my potential worry about this, right? So you're going to have the state saying, "Well, look, it's just not working because you know we just it's so hard to get these get the right growers on board." Yeah, no, no, it's because you're overregulating the damn industry. Yeah. I mean, the medical industry, it just, it, the Colorado, it, why didn't they do the way Colorado did it? It just I, seems so crazy. Well, I mean, obviously Colorado did start with a regulated infrastructure from the start, mm-hmm. the medical side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Washington didn't have a regulated medical side. But here's the other thing I, I look at this. Is the tobacco industry, I know this is a bad joke, but is the tobacco industry as regulated as this? No. No, it's not. No, not you know, like this. No, no. You, you don't go. Now, I understand that uh, uh, marijuana has different THC levels, right? And so there's different varieties of pot. You just, But isn't there different varieties of tobacco, too? There's menthol, and there's this, mm. and there's that. And you don't go, and I don't smoke uh, 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 cigarettes or anything like that. But when, let's say I'm going to go down to the store and smoke some cigarettes. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I don't go or a cigar. I, I don't go and say I, I want the one fifteen percent THC. They don't they, or uh, tobacco. Right. They don't Nicotine have that. or whatever. They yeah. don't regulate it as right. heavily as this. No, are they regulating it to death? Uh, obviously, they're regulating to, it to death to, to get the tax revenue. Yes. Obviously, twenty five percent of each cut right. each way. And there's been some numbers from the state of Washington that they've already made already made two point five million dollars in tax revenue. Really? Yes. Well, that's not the majority bad. of that, by the way, the majority of that coming from growers, not from sellers. Uh huh. No surprise there but here's the deal 
<laughs> if it's going to get so over-regulated, no one's going to come up here. There, uh, another story that I saw that people are not coming to Washington State to do the pot tourism, right? Because they're not going to book the travel and have nowhere to buy it, right? Right, and people just people that live here will just keep buying from the black market. And then, if you're a deer hunter in Texas, say in Polk <laughs> County, you might just stumble across a massive growing operation, forty-four thousand plants Jeez. spread across twelve. Good morning. When officials were first alerted to this grow operation, it was so massive they brought in teams to remove all these all these pot plants, and now they're working on that today. Inmates from the Polk County Jail joined over seventy officers. Yeah, and by team, they brought in a team. Did you hear? Did you hear how he said that they brought in a team? Yeah, they brought in inmates to do the hard work. From the Polk County Jail joined over seventy officers from up to twelve different agencies. In the July heat, they uprooted nearly every marijuana plant discovered on this massive grow operation. An elaborate hydration system made use <laughs> of a nearby creek. Yeah. They had pumps that were set inside the, the, the creek banks and a hosing <laughs> system that ran back to the uh, to the fields uh, to where they just turned the pumps on. The pumps would run through, through the hoses and then subsequently through the fields. A deer hunter scouting the area discovered the plants over the weekend and immediately called police. Nearby, a makeshift (laughs) campground was found littered with food, clothing, and equipment. Officials say the... By the way, by makeshift campground, it looks badass, dude. They got, like, they got produce there. They got barbecues. So it's like a, its own little enclave. Yeah. Growers <laughs> had likely been living there for at least five months. Avoiding <laughs> by landowners and law enforcement. <laughs> they'll go city. inside the overgrown area and they'll clean out a spot inside of it to where unless you actually are right inside the uh, plant area, you won't even know it, uh, that they're there. Shit. Operations like this are a growing problem in East Texas, no where problem. dealers have set up shop to avoid heightened security along the U.S.-Mexican border. In 2012, 30,000 marijuana plants were discovered on an 800-acre property near Ali, Texas. So far, more than 44,000 plants have been cleared away, but an aerial search revealed the existence of up to 16 additional fields. Once finished, the total haul could top 100,000 plants, making it one of the largest busts in Texas history. And one person has been taken into custody, and authorities one. say more arrests could be coming. They're actually bringing in helicopters today to take some of those plants out of the fields. You know, you know some of that pot's getting pocketed. By the way, uh, pocketed pot. did have a comment from Floppy Bacon in the chat room saying, wow, uh, inmates actually do wear black and white stripes overalls. In actually, Texas. <laughs> well, and some uh, some jails are actually switching from orange yeah. to stripes because of the show Orange is the New Black. Right, right. And they don't want to uh, celebrate, uh, celebritize the, right. the whole thing make so. it look glamorous or so whatever. yeah they're gone back to stripes uh you know in in 50 years we'll look back and be like man look at all that money they just probably burned they just threw it away except for the cops that pocketed well, it well hey remember there were there were times in our history when pinball machines were illegal and they smashed them up uh when they they seriously i know that's so ridiculous and and then they they took alcohol and they poured it yes, out and yes. they and they busted up so we've also talked about on the faux show when they poisoned alcohol for a little while wow yeah that's worth looking into hey we got an email before we go chase yeah this came in from Geralt. hopefully i'm pronouncing that right with the description of keep up the good work hi chris and chase I've been listening to all the Unfiltered episodes and some other shows as well for a long time now, but finally decided to support the show after your reporting of the plane crash in which a lot of my countrymen, women, and children died. I'm from the Netherlands, as you could probably tell by my English. By the way, good English. Uh, It's such a relief to finally see a show that covers the news in the way you both do. The mainstream media in the Netherlands covers nothing of the stuff that you guys talked about in the show. 
Why am I not surprised by that, Chris? One point of feedback concerning the amount of money that Russian companies have in the Netherlands. There's also a lot of American companies that have the same mailbox set up here in the Netherlands. It's all it's a bit of a tax paradise, you could say. Keep up the good show. Greetings from all the way across the pond. Geralt. Geralt, it's for that great email. You get a little bonus clip just for you. Oh my gosh, it's Anderson Cooper! <laughs> <laughs> it's been too long, but Chase. You know I'm what? sorry, I buddy. mean, that's the thing, right? You know, we, we obviously don't get Netherlands TV here. No. Um, and it, it's really refreshing, honestly, to see this kind of email. Yeah. And to, to know that... We might be on the right track. And we're making a difference. I hope so. Uh, and we've got a lot of good stuff in the supporter show this week. Yeah. If you felt, if you felt like we've only touched, only scratched the surface of the Israel and Hamas issue, I invite you to become a patron. When you become a patron over at uh, over at Patreon.com/slash/unfilter, you will get access to the back catalog of the supporter shows. One hundred and eight would be a great episode for you to listen more on, especially if you want to rail against us or or praise us. It would be good for you to listen to that supporter show so you have a complete picture. Yep. Yep, totally. And that's uh, the, the greatest thing about what we do is we don't pull any punches. We throw it all out there and really let you guys decide and let you guys chime in. And this is really the beginning of our coverage. So uh, we're not we're not sitting here um, where we are we where we're firm in our beliefs or have some sort of ideological uh, mission to uh, convince you of the way things are. We are open to your ideas. We recognize that you are just as smart as we are, and you have just as many experiences as we do. And yep. your a point of view is just as valid as our point of view. Yep. And we'd love to hear from you. So go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click that contact link, and choose Unfilter from the dropdown. We've also got some secure methods you can contact us, including BitMessage yep. and GPG Encryption and Keybase.io if you'd like to email in your thoughts and you just would like to have a little bit of confidentiality when you do so. Yeah, that's the cool thing about Keybase. I, I, I have an address. Chris has an address. And you guys can send notes in the show if you want to send notes and notes individually. However you feel comfortable, if you feel like you need to do that, you can definitely do that. But one public way. <laughs> and this would be a great way if you're yeah. not so concerned about the privacy and you want to get community input, you want to make sure yep. we see it. That's the Unfiltered subreddit. 1,398 of you are already reading the Unfiltered subreddit what? at unfiltered.reddit.com. This is where you can submit stories, uh, communicate, jump in, and we've had some incredible stories submitted through the subreddit. Yeah, some really oh, good stories in there stuff. this week. I really wanted to make sure. In fact, there's a couple in there. Like, read a couple of them, Chase. There's some really good oh, headlines right meet, there. Meet the new Monsanto, Dow yeah. Chemical. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, PR firms in Britain are spinning that, stories for foreign dictatorships. That's the one. That's the one you need to go read yes. right there. By the way, Vice.com does some great stuff. I love their stuff. Go check it out. Unfilter.reddit.com. Help shape the content. Interact with the community. Give us an idea of what you want covered. Unfilter.reddit.com. Bob's your uncle. Chris. Sir. Where can people follow you on the Twitters? I would recommend Twitter.com slash Chris LAS. Really? Is that where you can talk about things in 140 characters or less? Yeah, and people find out about live shows, schedule changes, what's coming up on the Jupiter Broadcast Network, my thoughts, sometimes questions I have to bounce off the audience before I start a show. Look, it's you. Twitter.com slash Chris LAS. Chase, have you tried Twitter? I, you know what? I love it. I, I love it a lot. I tweet a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Twitter.com slash Nunes, N-U-N-E-S, where if you're following me, I'm looking for a OnePlus invite. Anybody got one? Yeah, he needs it bad. I need it bad because I'm about ready to throw my phone through a brick wall. Yeah, which I would wanted, not go well. 
which I should put on tape. I would <laughs> I, if you do. I, I would do it. Record it with an iPhone. I, no, I record it with the OnePlus. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, listen, we'd love to have you join us live, too. Go over to jblive.tv. Yes. We do this show on a Thursday. Now, you might be sitting here going, or I'm sorry, on a Wednesday. You might be like, I want more Chase. Where would they go? Geekgamer.tv. We do Minecraft do meet on Sundays That's now. That's what I would do, Sundays. Yeah. After Faux Show. I would join us over there, or yeah. join Chase. Geekgamer.tv. Yep. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Unfilter. I hope we see you right back here next, next week. week. Have you seen the girls do the uh, the their exercise moves or not exercise moves? But they did this whole thing to the song. No. Oh, it's so good. I bet. Um, JBTitles.com. JBTitles.com. Head over there. I should I should explain my phone situation. And, and during the show, I alluded to the fact that I want to throw my phone through a wall. And you're probably wondering, Chase, why would you want to do that? Phones are great. <laughs> They're wonderful. So I have an HTC One M7. I've had it for just over a year, and that's significant. Washington doesn't want the money. JBTitles.com, everybody. JBTitles.com. So I've had two major issues with this phone. First, the camera failed. They replaced the camera that I had to pay for. And now the Wi-Fi chip on the phone is gone. So basically Wi-Fi is pointless, so I have to use my data. Good thing I have unlimited data. So I am ready to jump ship, and uh, somebody on Twitter uh, suggested the uh, the OnePlus phone. Now, he suggested this in kind. He said, hey, I have one of these phones. You should totally get one. So I, I was like, great. So I went to the website, and I was like, all right, I'm ready. To, I'm, this looks great. The specs are awesome. Oh, uh, the only way you can get one is through invite. Or um, Jack. or or winning a contest or something, and I'm just like, so I, I I tweet him back and I was like, hey, do you have an invite? I, this looks great. He's like, I, I gave it away, and then I'm thinking like, why'd you suggest this, man? Suggest something I That's can't have. That's a that tease. is just wrong. Ah! JBTitles.com, JBTitles.com, JBTitles.com. Everybody boat. Green Green Lantern in the chat though said go to slash r one plus. So I I'm gonna jump in there. So we have the Inra- the Israeli imbalance and forty seven year war currently. Ooh, forty seven. I like forty seven year war. Actually, I would add one small part to it, but le- I'm not going to suggest it. The forty seven yeah, year yeah, war. Yeah, I like that. Well, and uh, if you look at the way the six day war, it's it's uh, six dash day dash war. Ah, uh, over. JB titles, chat room JB. JB. Forty seven year war has four boats. The Israeli imbalance, six boats. Never over. Negative in the, the freedom, freedom dimension. dimension. The value of this is negative. Get it out of here. <laughs> Be careful, Chris. You're going to start rocking out. What's wrong with that? <laughs> What's wrong with that? Uh huh.
look up the moon one day, I experienced life in freedom. So, Chris, we got a question that's totally unrelated to the show. Should I read it? Okay. Has, ha, have, it's not a complete sentence. Has How To Linux been canceled or when is the next show? Oh, yeah, we can do another segment soon. Yeah, so so basically, How To Linux as a standalone product is no longer. It's not dead as far as the concept of it, but basically, we just didn't get the support of the show on its own. It's like, you know, it's like a, you know, it's, it's something growing up in the world and it just didn't make it on its own, but we're bringing it back into the mothership. So if you're paying attention to the uh, to the show uh, to the segment uh, uh, that we released on its own negative or episode four we're going to incorporate the segments into Linux action show and if it gets popular and people really want it to branch out and pull out of that uh, then we'll relaunch it as a standalone product so that's that's the essential stuff and by the way Tron's an awesome movie I love it All right, I think we've got it. I think we'll go with the 47-year war. I like that. Okay, all right. All right, chat room. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, It was weird doing a show right on a Wednesday after a Friday. This was was essentially our dry run for twice a week because there wasn't really that many days, news-wise, news cycle-wise, because we did it on a Friday. News cycle-wise, that left us Friday, Monday, and Tuesday, and a little bit of today to get clips and get all the news, and it still worked. So, yeah. I, you know, that was essentially 108 was a dry run for twice a week. Yeah. Very good, I think. Very good. All right. Chat room. You know what? Hey, Chase, you know who did a great job today? You know who did like a really, 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 really good job? You know who blew it out today? Who blew it out today? The mother effing chat room, Chase. Well, they always blow it out, man. And they they stepped up today. It's unbelievable. And then and then you think about our unfiltered supporters that keep us on the air. Amazing. It's almost a little humbling if I didn't have such a huge ego. Well... <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris and everybody out there, stay cool if you're in a hot climate. And if you're in a cold climate, get warm. We'll see you next week. Thank you, supporters. Good Love on. your faces. Good night, see everybody. you next time. Oh, yeah.